Welcome to the Great Bay's Tennis Podcast. This is your co-host, Andy Fitzell, alongside Steve Smith, the man, the myth, the legend, as always. This is episode 29, and in this episode, we're talking about single strategy. Strategy, a plan of action to accomplish a certain goal. Mm. In singles, single strategy, the goal ultimately to win. How would I start with a quote and you give me a comment? Here's one of my favorites. Yep. Virginia Wade, 1977 Wimbledon champion. Winning tennis does not lead to beautiful tennis, but beautiful tennis leads to winning tennis. Mm. Yeah, I like that. You're talking about, when you say beautiful tennis, meaning a beautiful tennis game. When it comes down to, okay, let's go a little bit slower, develop your game where you can be an all-court player. Yeah. Finish at the net. So many things we say. player. Not from Finland. But uh, no, it's just beautiful to see a player knock off an overhead or understand playing an underspin approach shot. Yeah. Um, You certainly have to have all those tools. Um, There's a tool. There's a tool box. And what are you trying to build? Who's the architect? And then the the tool holding onto the racket sometimes. That's true. (laughs) Uh, Here's a great one. Welby Van Horn. Strategy is meaningless without strokes. Yeah. I remember one time you were telling me about Welby doing a clinic for adults and someone had asked him, oh, yeah, what about strategy? Back a day of the tennis boom in the U.S., he had juniors and adults. Was, his camp was at the Choate School. Um, adult raised their hand and said, what about st- strategy? Could you come on a strategy? He said, no, I'm not going to talk to any of you about strategy until you have strokes. Yeah. Um, but it's true because, I mean, w- without strokes, you can't, really pull off any kind of strategy, any plan, you know, you got to have the tools really is what this all comes down to. Right. I mean, when it comes down to club tennis, uh, you've got, you know, two senior citizens playing some tennis, there's some strategy involved. Maybe it's just keep the ball in play until the other guy passes out. Yeah. But um, in the big picture to play high quality tennis, you definitely need to have strokes. Yeah. Vic Braden along those lines, People want to win without a forehand, backhand, serve, or volley. <laughs> yeah. So he very much, it's interesting that top people, I mean, Welby and Vic, they've answered the question differently, but the same. Yeah. Braden, again, there's very little tennis played in tennis. Yeah. I remember a few years back, well, this is a number of years now before Vic passed, but we had a group of uh, young high school kids in our junior tennis ambassador program. And we were taking, I think it was the finals or semifinals of a Grand Slam, you know, two great ground stroke players. And we were measuring a couple of different things. One was shots hit. And then the other thing was the speed in between shots. And it was very similar with the men and women. The men were just a little bit higher. It was like 2.2 seconds. And the women was 2.5 on average. And then the other thing was the the hits per point. And, you know, as um, Craig O'Shaughnessy has pointed out, more in recent years, but Vic's been saying that for a long, long time, is that there's very little tennis played in tennis. Is it a comedy or a tragedy of unforced errors? With um, Vic Brain at the Easter Bowl, I mentioned previously watching pl- matches, and he said if one player's losing, they just have to mail in the scores because they don't have the options to do anything but play yeah. perhaps baseline tennis or looking for the forehand. Yeah. Bill Clark, I haven't seen Bill Clark in a number of years, but he used to coach against a number of kids that Bill coached um he had quite a few juniors doing very well way back when maybe still but basic shots win the tournament the great shots make the highlight real yeah i like that 
I heard that and go, oh, I've got to repeat that over and over again and let that in. Yeah. Here's another Braden one. Quote, for $100,000 a week, Bjorn Borg hits back to the middle and sometimes cross court. <laughs> yeah, I always thought it was sometimes cross court and then down the, or I thought it was cross court and sometimes down the middle, but either way. With, uh, Vic used to always say that you, know, you, you could really uh, baffle beginners, advanced beginners, intermediates, say, give your opponent the big X, but actually the higher you go, the less strategies, just one, two, maybe three things to exploit your opponent. Yeah. I think of strategy, I think of speed. Um, speed is a weapon of tools. I mean, what's the asset, what's the liability? Mm. The late Eugene Scott, the, ta- the fastest tennis players in the world would not win a schoolyard race. That's why it's so important to play sets. A lot of young players, say in the winter months, indoor facilities, they just drill all the time. They don't play sets. Explain that though. He, he didn't think in general that tennis players were that fast or? Well, just emphasizing that, analyze to anticipate that some of the fastest tennis players, they wouldn't win a schoolyard race, meaning gotcha. that they're going to get a quick start. They're yeah. going to read the shot. They're going to be moving, even which has been proven before their opponent hits the ball. Yeah. But as I said earlier, tool chest, I mean, what do you, what's the master plan? What are you trying to build? You are building a tennis game. That's where you have to be very careful in the early age groups. Beginning stages of tennis is people will just play one-dimensional tennis. Um, I think, too, just going back, I think we, you know, strategy. So strategy is your basic overall plan. And then tactics are the things you're going to do to implement or carry out that strategy. So if my my overall game plan was, hey, I'm going to run this guy so much that he's going to pass out, then my tactics would be I'm going to try to hit short angles and make him run, or I'm going to make him bend down low by hitting underspin shots all the time, or I'm going to push him back with high topspin and then drop shot him, right? Those would be my tactics. Right, a series of tactics formulate the overall strategy. I see him break down their legs. Uh, Lendl was very much the same way architect yeah building a game and usually when it comes to a tennis player there's a story behind the story where where did someone learn all the ins and outs of single strategy i think too many times lessons are just how to hit the ball instead of where when why Mm. go ahead i was just gonna say you know i always you know you play the position like i've you know, golf was one of my first sports and, you know, the ego gets involved when you, when you go play golf because you want to rip the drive a lot of times when you don't really need to, you know, you, it's better just to play the course, play the position, but, but ego gets involved. And I think the same thing happened in tennis where, you know, like you say, people go for the 10, per, you know, 10 cent shot from, sorry, let me say that again. They go from the hundred dollar shot from a 10 cent position versus going for the 10 cent shot from the hundred dollar position. But I think, Oftentimes, you know, we remember that one shot that went in back in 75 before I was born in the tornado, and we remember that. In the tennis world, golf is a four-letter word. <laughs> but with, with golf, there's a drive, there's an approach, okay? there is a target. Put the ball in the cup. Yeah. We need to talk about targets for single strategy. And it's like you've got the drive, the approach, the putts, the volley. Typically, the three play the three types of players are baseliner, net rusher, and all court. But you you will hear terms like offensive line, baseliner, counterattacker, mm-hmm. 
serve plus one, serve plus forehand. Um, it's amazing. I'd say right now, if you had to say, all right, you got a hundred players playing, what percentage would fall into being a baseline or net rusher, all court player, but without mentioning serve plus one, serve plus forehand, that, that right now would dominate. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, upcoming junior tennis, college tennis, pro tennis, that's pre, the predominant style right now. Yeah, I think the, that's, you could say that's the number one pattern is someone's looking to hit a serve and then a forehand. You know, vocabulary, to some people, a grinder is someone who just can work really hard. Uh, but another time, but people say grinder is just someone who's going to be in the trenches and just stay back at the baseline and they have nothing but pure defense. But yeah, you, ha- you yeah. have to respect We'll get into talking about how do you beat a certain type player? How do you beat a pusher? Yeah. Number one, you got to beat them at their own game. Two, you come to the net, and three, you bring them to the net, or a combination of all different. When we talk about that too, is also we just say to respect them. You know, to not we don't like the word pusher so much, but more you know a defensive specialist, or you could say counter puncher, but a defensive specialist, and and you have to respect their well strategies. Strategies, I'm going to go right at their strength. I think a Becker and Machir, Tiriak one time told Mm. Becker. Semifinals US Open, would you play Machir? The cat was so fast, didn't have a great serve. But Tyriac was saying, only in the way he does things, the way he says things, only let the ball bounce twice. Once when the ball, ball boy gives it to you. So you're serving and you're serving and go. Mm-hmm. The next time is when they serve. So the, this is the stubbornness of Becker, stubbornness of a champion. Semifinals, loses in five sets. He keeps looking at Tyriac. He played back. He goes, no, I can beat him from behind the baseline. I beat him staying back. Mm. Uh, key letters. I just write these on the board. S-R-R-T-C. Those departments, the serve and the strategy within the serve, the return, strategy within the return, the rally, transition, the approach, taking the net, going forward, and then closing points out. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of information in all five areas. Yeah. I think some key words are these, these three. We always say it plus, minus IP. We talked about Bill Jacobson yeah. with statistics. The symbols, they hit the ball strong is a plus, hit the ball. Defensively, you could say you know, it's a minus, but then neutral is an IP. But then you have to think, wait a minute. IP is in play. In play. Thanks. But when it comes down to playing defensively, you can hit high and heavy. You can hit the ball a ton but it's a defensive shot. It's like Agassiz used to say when he would hit, um, it came from Harold Solomon, Bud Collins called it the moon ball. Mm. You arc the ball, you hit the ball up high in the air. Your trajectory is going to make the ball bounce high. And Agassiz used to say after that, he could go on offense with, with uh, I mean, not only did he have a, a, a big offensive forehand, but his backhand, the way he could just drive that up the line. Yeah. When you have kids play a match, hit the ball down the middle in the warm up. And they, your opponent is going to take a forehand, take it back in. They'll sidestep and usually take their stronger shot. Yeah. In the beginning of a rep, of a match, first of all, you want to keep a lot of balls in, break sweat, make all the little discoveries. But if you throw the ball up high and your opponent backs up, not good. Good for you, but not good. Yeah, now, You're not playing a great opponent. If you throw the ball up high and they take the ball on the rise, not so bad. Now, in junior tennis, if you throw a ball up high and they come in and play a clean, conventional approach volley... They coach really well. Contact us and we'll take you out to lunch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really happen very often. 
No. Um, and it's it's not a matter of being sensationalistic. There's just a handful of players um, in each section. If there's 17 sections in the U.S., I mean, I asked a player just yesterday who's from uh, Ontario. I said, how many players in your age group from your province, 18 and unders, will serve in volume play singles? Yeah. Thought about it and he said, one. Yeah. It's very, very small. I think that's an important tip, though, for listeners, for if you're a player out there, coach, is if you're playing a match and someone, you know, or you're scouting somebody, if they don't have the ability to come and take the ball out of the air effectively, it's such a relief for that person because they just know if they're ever in trouble, they can put it up high, center the ball, and get back into the point. Assets and liabilities. Um, that was so good. It just kept you silent. It was just like, boom. Yeah. Done. Assets and liabilities. It's like the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. The rich, and, and obviously the interest rates are not like they used to be, but you put money in a bank and the bank will keep, the bank will pay you, keep money in their bank. <laughs> the poor, they have to borrow money and then they pay interest. Same thing with hitting tennis balls. If you can keep a lot of balls in play, you're getting better. You're hitting more balls. Your experience level, your shot tolerance. Uh, it's like Braden used to say so many quotes on Braden. A dinker has a house full of trophies. Yeah. Another term for a defensive specialist. The rally's going to 100, and they're going, oh, I hope it goes to 1,000. Yeah. They just love to keep the ball in play. Yeah. But what is the weapon or what are the weapons? You know, at the high level, the key shot usually is to serve. Yeah. Um, we talked about the return to serve for quite some time. The return to serve can be a weapon. The mind, a movie for intellectuals, Rambo 2, yep. Deep Thinkers, is the most powerful weapon of them all is the mind. I always thought the mind was the most powerful weapon. <laughs> yeah. With, uh, That's true, though. I mean, if you, you know, and this is a little tangent, but if, if, you, if somebody has a big serve and you're able to return that serve, neutralize them, that's a huge psychological advantage. There's break um, them down mentally. There's advantage and disadvantages, for example, for a grip. For strategy, you need to know what grips your opponent's using, and you need to know all the ramifications. But there's also advantages and disadvantages of someone's character. You know, say, for example, a young player who's very impatient, they have a tendency to play offensive tennis when they're young. You know, you come, we'll come back and you want to be a complete player. But, you know, sometimes the, the, the young kid who's um, very conservative, low risk, they're going to just stay back. Also, too, the yeah. kid with a high IQ, a lot of times in tennis when they first start playing, they go, oh, I love this game. I'm just going to let the other guy miss. That's how I was. Just really, really. You got such a high such IQ. A high, yeah. with, it comes down to the, the kid who's trying to keep 100% of the balls in play, and then they finally get up against somebody who's being aggressive. In fact, get, kids win in two out of three, 66 and two-thirds, then the defensive specialist. And that's why a lot of times very successful defensive players, 12 and unders, 14 and others, they go away. Yeah. Uh, I've been reading uh, the book Assisted, John Stockton, basketball mm. player. Actually, Will Chamberlain, before he passed away, said, what's the all-time basketball team, the, starting, the best starting five? And yeah. he said, I would start with uh, John Stockton. Touch mm -hmm. uh, yes, baby. What, what, what he said about in his book, um, sports right now, is run 
by adults. Yeah, and there's some positives to that. But years ago, it was just run by kids. I mean, there was sandlot sports. There was no coach, right. no no adult supervision, and you're just out there playing all these different sports. A car comes along, game off, car leaves, game on. Yeah. Wayne's World. I can digress. Uh, our One of our Canadian students, does it, he's from Toronto, he's never heard of Dougie Gilmore. Dougie Gilmore was asked, how'd you get so tough? He said, well, I'll tell you in a simple story. I was playing touch football. And my father was playing, and I was on his team. And, of course, usually the side yard, one end zone is is the road, mm-hmm. road in front of the house. And Dougie was open. His father threw the ball, and Dougie didn't catch it. He goes, what's happening? What's going on? He goes, a car was coming. And the father said, so? <laughs> catch the ball first and then, then get out of the way of the car. But I, I do think to learn from other sports, football, I'm telling, you know, girls look at me like I'm crazy. I tell their parents. I asked uh, four girls yesterday, who's Bill Belichick? These are all American girls. They, they didn't know. I think that's un-American. You, you need to tune in a little bit. Uh, you should know what a fumble is. So that's the next question. What's yeah. a fumble? Did any of them um, take a crack at it? Like, he's a comedian from Mexico or anything? No, like that. they didn't take a crack at it. Uh, that's in the book, The Championship Teacher. is uh, Right away they say, I don't know. You say, okay, well, wait. Yeah. You never call on someone who raises their hand. Always call on someone who doesn't raise their hand. Yeah. Um, no, but you don't have to be a football fanatic. But um, if uh, there's 100,000 people in the stadium, and so, okay, maybe 50% is, if it's a home game, it's usually more than that. But say 50% are for the team wearing the red jerseys. Mm-hmm. And the others are cheering for the teams with the blue jerseys. And the guy with the red jersey is running right up the middle. And... Yeah, then you know, okay, what's the line of scrimmage? Control the clock. You only have to get 10 yards to um, march down the field. Yeah. But that uh, running back is hanging onto the ball with one hand, one arm. And everybody's thinking fumble. Everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the tennis players, you know, hey, the, the kids got an open racket face. They're not getting below the ball. It's, it's a bad accident waiting to happen. I mean, it's you know, sooner or later, just make them hit one more, make them hit one more. The engineering it, problem is going to cause the psychological problem. Well, then, yeah. So then, uh, then all of a sudden the wires disconnect and um, what's going on inside their head. Well, there's this great guy I know. We'll call him and see if we can talk about your feelings. Um, with soccer, I was telling someone earlier just today that when I was a kid, soccer was only played in Boston and St. Louis. It really wasn't played as a sport in the United States, and boy, has it boomed. That was right around the turn of the century, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, even in Canada, there's more kids playing soccer than there is playing hockey. Yeah. Um, a That's lot of times, amazing. it's just a participation sport. Kids play it when they're really young. Yeah. And their parents should just know it's, they got introduced to soccer a little bit. It's not like they were a soccer player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my child played tribal soccer. Mm-hmm. But when 22 kids go out and they're playing soccer, only two know where to be. <laughs> Those are the goalies. Yeah. And everything else is a cluster. So, But little kid tennis is very much the same. The, the strategy, you know, where to stand. Yeah. Um, but I do think um, understanding other sports. Um, I'll tell you a very quick story. 19 seconds. I, uh, I have three brothers. One of them was... Uh, on the team older than me, we played for the Syracuse Pee Wee All-Stars, Syracuse Bantam All-Stars. And there was a rule where parents could not coach. 
But unfortunately, the, the coach of my brother's team had a heart attack and he couldn't go to nationals. So my father went and my father coached the team and we were in the semifinals of the nationals and there's 19 seconds left on the clock. And my father had his principles. He was going to play the third line. So 19 seconds to go. They're playing Detroit. Gordy's how kids were on the team. Marty and Mark, how Mark, how arguably one of the, if not the best American, he's right up there. Best American hockey player ever. And maybe people, you wouldn't get the recognition because he's a defenseman, not so much a goal scorer. Goal scorers get all the glory. Mm. 19 seconds left face off in his own end. And my father put in the third centerman to take the face off. Detroit ties it up, wins in overtime. And my father just said that was his chance for the big time and he blew it. So I, I, I think that's why it's so important to just understand strategy. Um, and it's not just, uh, you know, tennis strategy, it's all strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, strategy comes in anything. If you want to build a building. Yeah. You know. Um, be a plan. Yeah. So the word mistakes are my English mistakes in football quarterback throws the ball fumble interception excuse me help me out here quarterback throws the ball yeah interception completion there's three things that happen do you know what they are it's gonna be quick a completion an interception or an incompletion but they still throw the ball yeah Uh, in tennis you know if we were just to call it like say in soccer it's a turnover it's a giveaway so the point was like two out of the three things are not good yeah but you, you need to know that you know you need to know a little bit about other sports yeah. when it comes down to a golfer a golfer doesn't want the ball to go in the woods no they don't want the ball to go in the water and you, as a tennis player you don't want to you don't want the ball to go in the net you don't want the ball to go wide mm-hmm. um but i think the unforced air perhaps in some ways the name's not dramatic enough mm-hmm. um i like you know, I'd like to say, okay, today we're going to call it winners and losers. Yeah. How, I many, mean, how many losers did you have? I mean, how many times can you miss the same shot? Like my brother, my family was clueless about tennis, but he would go, did you win your game? I go, yeah, I won 12 of them. He's like, well, you know what I mean, man. <laughs> Logic. Make your opponent play. Make your opponent rally. Make your opponent hit a passing shot. So you're coming in, hit to, you come in to play an approach shot. Your approach shot... The money shot, the volley's a cash-in shot. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had the podcast on tennis math. We had the podcast on uh, statistics. Make your opponent volley. Make your opponent hit a smash, hit an overhead. Mm-hmm. I like to ask kids, are you playing Serena today? Is that Roger you're playing over there? <laughs> Just throw up a high defensive lob. Let him take gas. Yeah. You know, coming back to Vic. Vic used to take, say that all the time. He got that from Kramer. Just get the ball back. Let your Give your opponent one more chance to take gas. Yeah. Well, you say just let your opponent blow it, you know, with, I do think people try to play TV tennis, play outside themselves. Shepard Mead, author, wrote the book, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, wrote the book, How to Succeed in Tennis Without Really Trying. Two types of strategy. You either stretch your opponent or you spoil your opponent. 14-year-old hotshot, he's got the headband that matches his shoulder bag, the shoulder bag matches his shoes, he's got the the... The Nadal look at one time it was yellow and black with a racket, maybe yeah. it still is. Uh, but so the 14 year old plays a 50 year old. Who's Las Vegas betting on? You know, we would call sometimes a 54 year old, uh, a little younger than me, but you pay, put on the big floppy hat <laughs> and they're got a little pot belly and they got a band around their elbow and they're Body a mushroom. Armor. 
Yeah. Mushrooms are perfect. Yeah, I was say, they, they've got the body armor on. They're just a mushroom, and all they can do is push the ball back and hit a lob. Yeah. Now, they're going to they're, they're gonna take the role of the spoiler. But what goes on now, those matches don't happen anymore. It's called youth versus veteran yeah. matches. I mean, it would be great to have 10 and under players be playing, you know, 60 and over players. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't happen. Those are, I mean, when I first started playing 10, 11 years old, um, you know, we played against the older ladies, doubles. I mean, it was, and that was fun. You know, those youth versus experience matches and you develop relationships and, you know, it was great. With, um, let's go through uh, the seven concepts. We could try to wow people and make it the 77 concepts. Uh, with the first one, comes from Clarence Mabry's book. It was a John Newcomb family tennis book. And it's just great. I'm sure that they came from somewhere else, but that's where I learned it. And now I see it all over the place. It's great. Green, yellow, red is, or red, yellow, green. Yeah. The backcourt is red, like a traffic light you're waiting. Proceed in the yellow zone, get to the net, the green zone. Nick Terry. When it comes down to you control, you're in the red, you hurt in the yellow, you finish in the green. Yeah. With, um, and there's so there's strategy within every zone of the court. We call them confrontations as well. Red zone to red zone. Um, and, and just people just giving away points, red zone to red zone. Yeah. You know, you're behind the red zone and you miss wide, you're going to tennis jail. I mean, if you're, uh, behind the slightly behind the red zone and you miss long that's a, that's a misdemeanor well and i think that's what, going back to tennis math if you haven't listened to that episode recommend you do so but if people understood the dimensions of the court where the further they go back the smaller the angle becomes and so you need to center the ball more and then obviously elevate your shot if you want to try to keep it deep Someone so wants like to be you're a, saying missing wide. You just say, "Hey, gosh, why are you aiming? Try to aim wide when you have less angle back there." Somebody wants to be a better chess player. They need to start studying chess. Bobby Fischer learned um, six different languages so he could read chess books. Mm-hmm. Uh, this comes from Peter Burwash. Within the red zone, you have three zones: defensive, neutral, and offensive. Yeah. So you do have uh, all over the court defensive, neutral, offensive situations. But for every foot you move back, you just set it. You need to hit a foot higher over the net. You're in the neutral area. You're right on the baseline, say a racket length behind it, a racket length in front. And then once you're in the offensive area, it's not a matter of just running around your backhand. It's also hitting down the line. Uh, if you want to spread the court, but wait until you're in the offensive area. Actually, I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's smart to say, okay, there's four areas of the court. Instead of just saying red, yellow, green, is actually add that offensive part of the red zone as, as a fourth zone. I think one of the things, Steve, is in today's pro game, you know, because of modern rackets and obviously the players are fit, but it's almost like they feel like they can take offense from anywhere on the court. You know, even if they're well behind the baseline, guys can, can hit the ball pretty hard and take some offense, you know, if they have balance, if they have, if they have some time. But I think for the younger generation, they see those type of things. And like you said, they think they can make those TV shots and do things that they don't quite own. Yeah. You know, why don't people go to the net? They don't go to the net because they don't go to the net. Roger Federer, 
If people can't volley, they're not going to go to the net. Uh, why do people go to the net, Vic Braden, to lose at a faster rate? Mm -hmm. People will build their tennis game not only around their strength, but they'll also build their tennis game around their weakness. And many times they're hiding their weakness. If someone yeah. has a, just an atrocious, awful backhand volley, okay, if, if you don't see the warm-up, you won't see the volley. And you, you can be at the, uh, the futures level and players don't even warm up at the net. Yeah, I've seen that a couple of times. I just go up there to pick up balls and shake hands. There's no reason for me to hit volleys in the warm-up. <laughs> the percentage post, if you go three and a half feet in from the sideline and three and a half feet in from the baseline, Baseline's 27 feet. So now you put two, we used to call them safe spots, but then the kids thought, well, they're telling mommy and daddy, oh, they're always telling me to play it safe. So we changed it to the percentage post. Yeah. And, you know, for example, watching board play with, so now you have 20 foot target. You know, can you, can you hit the ball down the middle? Agassiz, the belly of the ship. Yeah. You know, uh, we mentioned Ty Tucker, hit the fat part of the court. Give yourself a big target, make less errors. Um, so when you're in the defensive or neutral area of the red zone, you're going to hit between the percentage posts. Yeah. Uh, connected to the percentage posts, we have the percentage line. You know, that comes from, uh, reading about Jack Kramer. I had a chance to meet Kramer, but really didn't watch him play except for on film. And, uh, but Vic Braden had the Jack Kramer four by four in the corner. Yeah. You know, in, on the courts that he had painted, he had a four by four square in each corner mm -hmm. and said, no, you want to aim for the first corner. The inside corner is, is furthest from the baseline, high percentage tennis. Mm -hmm. um, Welby Van Horn, he played Jack Kramer, he hit short, you just turned around and asked the ball boy, what's the score? With, um, but you play up the percentage line because one, it's a larger target, less chance for error. Two, by playing closer to the center, say with Braden's four by four square, or what we say three and a half feet, and we'd say that was a, you got a twenty feet. You can't hit twenty a twenty foot target. Yeah, that now they have less angle. And then also too, it's it's a predetermined target. Yeah, okay, you, you don't get the approach. I go, oh, what do I do now? Yeah, you know the term the term that kids use, the teenage talk. Well, you freak out. And I think that's you know really important too with tennis and match play you know you drill you practice but when you're going to play a match you need to be free and things need to be instinctive and so as you practice these different targets then things are you know you have the automatic response that instinctive response to have the right target or a percentage target when you go play the match roger fetter i didn't know you're supposed to win in practice mm -hmm. practice is practice you know, then once you understand, it's okay, now we're going to play a set. We have attacker and a counterattacker. Feed the ball underhand, play the approach that played out. So one player is going to be in the green zone, pointing in situation, hitting volleys and overheads. The counterattacker is going to be back hitting passing shots and lobs. Mm -hmm. With short ball range, why don't you go through that one? I was going to say quickly with the percentage line, you used to call that the safe line as well. Right. And then... Uh, again, just accuse we're telling everybody to play it safe. Hey, tell them like you just played safe out there. Play the percentages. Yeah. When the points over, Jim Lair, did you play aggressive percentage tennis? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a lot sh of short ball range. I mean, Vic Braden, 
you know, basically where can you hit from on the court and make it halfway between the service line and the net by, by the time your opponent is touching the ball to pass you. So, you know, if you can be three feet inside the baseline, if you have crazy speed and you're able to hit and get up to that point, then, you know, you can start to know where your short ball range is. But if you take that spot, that 10 and a half foot mark and mark a, mark a spot on there, you can have somebody, um, help you figure out the radius, you know, of your short ball range and you can walk around that area, get to know it. But yeah. You need to know where you can hit from basically short ball range, where you can hit from and make it to that 10 and a half foot spot so that you have a chance to play a good. Yeah. Ball. So the short ball range varies, you know, you've got a, a young kid who's 10 years old. Yeah. Are you working with a, a young adult, 20 year old college player? Big difference. Different. I mean, the size of the player, the size of their stride. Yeah, the, the, the fitter you get, the better you get. Your short ball range will change. It's the same with your recognition skills. You can't hesitate. You got to analyze. You're looking. You know, this kid uh, Shapovalov. You know, any sniff of offense, he's taking it. Yeah. So the radius is half the diameter. Vic Braden used to say, "If you know this, you know tennis." Yeah. He's saying many things. If you can take a kid who's got a palm up serve and change it in ten minutes, you know tennis. Well, as you're saying, so you got G- GVP, that's good volume position. That comes from Burwash. Then you close in and it's IVP, ideal volume position. Yeah. So it's 10 and a half feet from the halfway between the, the net and the service line. So say, for example, if we always say, oh, it's approximately seven steps. Well, then we, kids just say, oh, short ball range is seven steps. No, it depends on the individual. Yeah. But if it were seven steps, so then you have a rope. That rope's 21 feet. So the person in GVP is hanging on one end of the rope and you're hanging on the other end of the rope from where you hit your approach shot, yeah. where your short ball range starts. Yeah. And then you start walking um, towards the center of the court. So when you approach cross court, you're waiting for a ball that's shorter and closer to the middle. Yeah. You basically, you basically make a circumference. You make a circle and you'll be able to see where that, that circumference yeah, if is. You, if you chart pro is. matches, you'll find out that... Um, Players approach, it's a pretty safe bet they're going to approach more cross-court than they are down the line. Now, it's, it's more difficult to pass. Braden used to say the ball's coming in crooked, and then they have to hit straight. Yeah, That's the cross-court approach shot. If you hit straight to crooked, approach shot comes in straight, it's easier to pass cross-court. Yeah. But it's a matter of executing the shot, getting in volume position. So we explained GVP. Hold the line is something from Dennis Vandermeer. Now, we also call these seven concepts the emotional anchors. When the pro- point's over, stop, post-plan, what just happened? And to simplify, to dummy it down, no, just seven, with uh, Tylee, who's with us for a long time. He, Craig Tylee, he went to Tennis Australia, and I think it was very good. He, has, he had 10 when he first came out with those videos. He had serve, return, he had combination, two-shot combination. But And, and that's fine. There should be... Um, 10 is 10 is no problem i think in those videos as well they he still used the terms you know safe spot and safe safe lines yeah with um but dennis vandermeer you we say hold the line you take the ball back where it comes from pete sampras was great at that mm-hmm. balls below the level of the net you know he doesn't try to hit the drop volley he doesn't try to hit the sharp angle he takes the ball right back where it comes from he doesn't make his opponent move yeah and then the next ball comes up high he understands 130 degrees volume potential. He understands you know, two out of three turns of four out of six, eight out of 12. Um, 
Well, also, in, in some senses, it's hitting back behind the player, behind your opponent. And so a lot of times they're looking, they already start running into the open court, and then you go back behind them, and a lot of times it ends up being a winner anyway. Many times what happens is players are, young players see it all the time. And, I, and again, their parents mean really well, but I think the parents have said, well, why are you just hitting up the middle? Because I want to win. <laughs> you know, it's like the football team, run the ball up the middle. You know, nothing fancy. Basics wins. Bill Clark. Yeah. With so the points over you play it post plan your pre plan. Um. Again, just emotional anchors. Now, with that, let me ask you. Yeah. With post planning, what kind of things would you ask yourself after point? You know, that term. Well, I think you can go into a match with with tendencies. Uh, okay, they're going to have a tendency to go cross court on the backhand side. They get open racket face. If you read Pete Sampras's book, his autobiography, uh, The Late Ken Flack, young, Pete was much younger at the time, and Ken, the double specialist, was saying, what is your strategy? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Obviously, there's a lot of intensity, um, for the, perhaps nervousness, the upcoming match, and mm. young Sampras said, I don't know yet. I won't know till I get out there. you got to figure it out. Yeah. So you, you have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to adjust. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's where... You know, every match is a, is a story unto itself. Just you can break that down, even with even the point. Yeah, I mean, do you know what just happened, mm-hmm. and is that going to is it going to happen again? You know, I think what happens is kids get so so emotional. It's gasoline on the fire. They make a mistake. They they don't even know what the mistake was. Right. They just know the score. Yeah. And that that means you you get someone who's not cool as a cucumber. They know they missed a shot, but not why. From yeah. a technical aspect, and a lot of times from a positioning or a tactical play as well. Well, I think the same thing with passing shots. If someone comes to the net, again, make them volley. Yeah. Um, many times on a passing shot, they they approach cross-court, pass cross-court. You're not changing the direction of the ball. There's not that reflective angle. Take yeah. the ball back where it came from. Um, make them volley. Many times players have too open a racket face, and they're going to finesse the volley. And you're going to pass on the second ball. Yeah. Especially if you can make the ball dip. I mean, if you can hit with topspin, and they're, especially if they're calculating on the volley more, then it's going to be even double. Again, I have a hockey background. All these sharp shooters, where do most goals score? Between the goalie's legs, up the middle. So you have the five holes. You have the corners, corners. And I think hockey players, that helped. I think that helped out Borg. He was so good with passing shots, but he grew up as a, as a hockey player as well. Um, years and years ago, Phil Esposito set records for scoring goals. In Boston, they had the... Um, the bumper sticker, um, Jesus saves and Espo scores on the rebound. <laughs> and um, make the person volley. With uh, Pancho Seguro, Vic Braden told the story all the time, is that he's playing Gonzalez. Gonzalez had a strong continental grip, finessed for him volley. Yeah. And Seguro's tossing the ball over the corner. He, he was a tactician. He helped Jimmy Connors out so much. So he's running over, it's just, he's just taking the ball. And he's tossing the corner, and he runs, and he runs over, and he rips it cross court, and then he just starts running yeah. forward. And Vic said, what are you doing? Vic ran the tour for many years for Jack Kramer. And he said, I'm, uh, Gordo, I think. I'm playing Gordo tomorrow, whatever the nickname is they had for Gonzalez. And he goes, he's, he's going to hit a big serve. He's going to volley over here. I'm going to rip it cross court, run right here. And, you know, why Vic told the story is that, you know, Gonzalez at one point is pretty hard to beat, but, but he beat him in the in the next match. Yeah. Um, concepts within these seven 
concepts, it just grows, or I should say within the, tar- the, the, yeah, the seven concepts, there's other concepts. The two bounce rule, I was teaching tennis in Surabaya, Indonesia. Okay, so you've heard this before. The lines go all the way back to the fence, yeah. single sidelines. If someone's hitting the, the defensive or neutral area of the red zone, the ball should bounce a second time between those lines. The court is three feet short of being three times longer than is wide. Yeah. And um, so when we talk about tennis math, it just resurfaces. But, you know, people don't get the racket below the ball. They see their target through the net. They don't realize the tennis court's 19.1 degrees wide. They're not tar- They're not contact-oriented. They're thinking of their target. They're thinking about running their opponent. So they have horizontal swings. And, you know, Vic would say, can they hit the ball um, in less than 70 feet? Well, going to the sideline, sideline, the intersection of the service line, that's 65.9. So where are you going to approach? You're going to approach to the side most often where they cannot hit sufficient topspin. Yeah. And what would Vic say? If, if you play someone who hits topspin on both sides, what's going to happen? You're going to lose. <laughs> you will lose. You know, you go to a junior tournament, high, low, high, inside out. We can talk about that with strategy. Inside out, asked a young kid this the other day, what, in, from a technical standpoint, what's inside out mean? He goes, oh, it's when you hit a forehand. Well, that's true when it comes down to the target, commentators, players. But inside out means to swing from close to away. Yeah. So even when you hit a conventional cross-court forehand, you're hitting inside out. Yeah, but with the with the approach shot, and I know he talked a lot, a lot about this in doubles with serve and volley, but so it would, it would apply for serve and volley in singles as well, as he would say, approach, serve and volley to the side of your opponent that produces the highest and longest ball. Yeah. Because you want a ball that's going to be obviously up in the air. Um, if you're looking to hit a short ball, a forehand or whatever, then you want to serve to the side that's going to produce the shortest ball, the weakest shot. With... Uh, having players go through walk a walkthrough. What's a walkthrough in football? Well, you're wearing no pads. There's no opponents, and you just walk through the place. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a couple of players visiting here, and we've really grinded them. Yeah, that's our term on work. We grinded them on technique. We did um, before and after film, and now just to have them walk through. We're going to feed you a ball. You're going to be in the red zone. Yeah, you're going to hit cross court. You're on the right side of the court. You're going to hit on the right side of the net. It's not just the court target. It's the air target. Height gives you depth, and you're going to hit between the percentage post and the center mark. The center mark is five feet from it, the, 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 the dividing line. Yeah, the depth mark. The hash line. Yeah. Braden asked Billie Jean King, if you could hit every shot five feet right here smack in the middle from the baseline, what would happen? She thought about it for a minute. She said, you'd never lose. Yeah. The kid method, KID, keep it deep. Uh, what's better, the topspin backhand or the underspin backhand? Steffi Graf. She had a great underspin backhand. It depends on which shot lands deeper. Depth is, is crucial. Yeah, uh, You mentioned Craig O'Shaughnessy. He's done a lot of work with uh, educating people about stats. That's where errors really come from, is that, you know, people are hitting deep. You know, that's where you watch the pros hit up the middle, but the difference is they're hitting deep up the middle. They're not yeah. hitting short up the middle. I mean, I know the numbers are there that, you know, it's 60-something percent of points and in errors, you know, but there's unforced errors and forced errors. And I think at the, the high levels of the game, you know, the forcing errors are even more prevalent, but a lot of that is so subjective as well. You know, what's forced and what's unforced, but in the end, errors. Uh, Braden, when it comes down to you're throwing up a grenade and running underneath it, that's not just for having a patty cake serve. That's having a 
that's hitting short ground strokes. Yeah. That's hitting short anything. Yeah. Um, this doesn't come from Lendl, but it's a coach we worked with who came up with it, studied Lendl. He's passed away now, but um, not Lendl, but the person. <laughs> yeah. So in the middle of the baseline, A and A, just slightly off center, B and B, and then in the corners, C and C. Yeah. And defensive equals A and A, neutral equals A and B. Mm-hmm. And when you get in the offensive area, then you can you can go up the line to C. You can run around your backhand, hit a forehand. Yeah. Um, with www, spread the court a little more. It's not World Wide Web. It's weak, weaker, weakest. Yeah. And that's where you want to be able to close in and finish. And that's where kids end up playing low percentage tennis because um, they're uh, letting the ball bounce when they shouldn't. Um, I told a story the other day to a young player. He used to play tennis with Wayne Saban. You know, he was close to 70. I was close to 20. He won the Wimbledon plate. They used to have a consolation tournament at Wimbledon. Right. He was a great tennis player. Yeah. And I remember one time playing doubles with him and I let a ball bounce. And I thought I would hurt a lot of profanity in my life, but <laughs> he let me know right there on the spot. Yeah. Um, time and pressure, uh, space. Yeah. You know, you're giving your opponent more time when you let the ball bounce. You have to be ready for the ball in the air first. It comes it has to be it has to be up high to go over the net. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're watching pro tennis, the players they don't lob that often because the players are so good with the overhead. But yeah, we talked about like a Connors, a, a Hewitt. You got to have a great lob. Yeah. With um, so you you can you can be on the other end of it. You know, so they're about to hit the overhead because they made you hit weak, weaker, now weakest. Yeah. You know. When you watch really great tennis players, they can just come up and just tap the ball. You think of how uh, and Ash made changes against Connors in 75. He didn't play his game. It's the only time he beat Connors. I think they played seven times. But at the very end, he's just straight up the net. It's, of course, that was on grass. It was a little bit different. But, I mean, you just come up and just tap the ball. I think it's an important point, too. Like, I hear this often um, here outside when the kids are training that, you know, they'll be playing points and a, and one player, you know, hit the ball deep, they get, get a short ball, play the approach shot, they come into the net, and then maybe they end up missing on a point-ending situation, overhead or a volley, maybe they just miss, and then so the other player wins, and they're going like, yeah, or they're feeling good about that, and you're going, no, 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 you didn't win that point, you know? The other person was at the net, ready to finish the point. It's like, you hit short, so you know, one know, thing winning, that- winning can be confusing that way. You, know, you really have to, tennis is a microcosm of life. You really have to say, okay, let me sit back and see what's happening here. Like say years ago in Florida, I mean, I could just go down to Miami and you think, okay, there's Flamingo Park and you go up to Hollywood and there's David Park and you go to Fort Lauderdale and there's Holiday Park. And in Boca Raton, there's a place called Memorial Park. Uh, so anyway, each city had municipal courts mm. and you show up, you know, 20 people can beat you 20 different ways. But, you know, like say that some of the kids, we have practice with each other. It's a little bit unfortunate because, you know, they're not changing the direction of the ball from the baseline. They're not seeing anything and everything. And I think that's a, that's one thing that's sad in Florida is that tennis is a an amenity. Now, we have our own small little place, but tennis is an amenity to golf. And how it works is, okay, we're going to build a golf course. Yeah. Then what we're going to do is we're going to sell big houses and we're going to sell townhouses. Maybe we'll even have a few apartments. And... Now they have, you know, six, eight courts yeah. and 
there's going to be a, a t- tennis teaching professional, which is great that they can make a living on those courts. So you just, it's kind of like people have their own court. Typically people have their own court. They don't play that well. And why don't they play very well is they play with the same people. You know, the more people you can play, the better. In, with um, yeah. This also comes from Braden. Uh, Four-week positions. You need to know those. You need to recognize those. And then yeah. you go forward. So you have your opponent, legs crossed in one corner, the forehand corner, legs crossed in the backhand corner. Ball's low or the ball's high. Yeah. And they're not going. They don't. They're not going to have a kinetic chain. They're not going to be able to juice it. They're not going to be able to hit it. Yeah. And you recognize then that you come in. It's just like a boxer. Um, you know, you don't hit someone once ago. Did that hurt? It's like boom, boom, boom. You know, if you get three in, you're you're going to win win the fight. Yeah. Uh, but you're 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 looking to put combinations together. Uh, you know, we can talk about the red light, the yellow light, but just the green light point where you're ahead by two or more. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, yellow where it's even, red where you're down. But with green light, you just think of a 12-year-old. Okay, no one will even know. Yeah. No one will know. You're up 40, love. And I once asked a college player, you know, what should you do? And, and the college player said, no, you should, should you take that risk when you're up 40, love, or just play the way that you got to be up 40, love? And that could be an argument. And he mm-hmm. said, no, I'm going to play the way I played to get up 40, love, win the game. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's why you were playing number six, <laughs> is you've got to be more offensive-minded. So with, um, you're up by two, 12 and under tennis, because the kids have all these technical problems, typically a right-handed player serving the deuce court, they're going to hit their f- serve to the forehand. Mm-hmm. Why is they open up? Body's the leader. Body's going left, ball goes in that direction, and it's the second serve and you're letting the kid on the other side tag a forehand mm-hmm. and then they don't even know they have to be able to go back and can, can they hit their serve to the body or the T Can they place their serve. Yeah. Um, and obviously those things cha- can change just depending on who you're playing. You know, if like the line from Vic serve to the side that gives you the highest and longest ball. I mean, there's always going to be exceptions to the rule, you know, or to a, to a basic play. It's like, okay, this guy has a really crummy forehand. I'm going to serve to his crummy forehand. Cause I know I'm going to either, win the point outright or get an easy response. Um, today we're doing a point where um, someone shared this with me. You, you play a point and as soon as the point's over, you quickly put another ball in play. Now we do that in doubles, but mm. to do that in singles. So the player who wins, they both have to have a ball in their pocket. Player wins, player wins, feeds the ball in. Um, so they play two points quickly mm. with, um, when it comes down to the points over, freeze, stop. What position you're in? Yeah, you just won the point, but you're you're 13, your opponent's 13. Five years from now, if these are your instincts, this is how you're wired. Yeah. But you know, you could drive a big tractor trailer to the open court because you went the wrong way, but you won the point. Yeah. So over and over again, winning's not confusing, it's totally confusing. Mm-hmm. It's just like little kids' soccer. But um, again, it's like, and the parents mean really well. Sometimes they're chewing their fingernails, they're climbing up the fence. And um, it's, again, repeating myself, Jose Garris, 12 and unders, someone has to win. And it's like, and it's not a matter, oh, you're being so negative. No, no, I'm just being honest. And it sounds negative because they haven't heard any honesty. Yeah. Um, just phrases, first strike tennis you've heard, kill or be killed. Yeah. 
you're only as good as your second serve. Um, with um, veterans, we talked about the youth versus veteran match. I think this is a great story. Um, Rosetsky, I mean, top 10, U.S. Open finalist, more than once. I think he was in the U.S. Open final twice. Mm. I know he lost to Rafter. With, um, he was living in London, Edberg, who's retired. They're both living in London. Rosetsky's the Canadian who played for the Brits. Yeah. And Rosetsky got himself in a little trouble with the U.S. Open one year. He said Pete Sanders was a step too close and, or a step too slow. And then he had to play him, I think, in the quarters and <laughs> he, he took it on the chin. Yeah. But what Rosetsky shared with the public, I live in London. I played with Edberg. I just play him one set at a time. And I've never taken a set from him. <laughs> yeah. With um, some fun things I put down here. Marty Fish. I once saw Marty play Sampras in, a, in an exhibition, and it was very heated. They were, it was very competitive. I mean, it was not your typical. There was no hitting and giggling. And Fish yeah. said afterwards to the crowd, I've played Pete in practice. I've played him um, in you know official matches, and I've played him in exhibitions. And I have never beaten him. Sampras was, you know, several years retired. Mm. I think that was a little before Marty really got in shape. He lost a lot of a lot of weight and was top ten in the world. Yeah. Um, I one time saw Garolitis. He lost in a Bill Reardon tournament. I was out at a place called Boca West, but that that evening I was at the Boca Hotel that night, I should say. And Agassi, excuse me, Garolitis lost early, and you know people talked about how much he partied, but this guy was practicing, practicing all day. And then he's at the Boca Hotel, and I just went to hit some serves. Um, I wasn't a member of the hotel, but I just hung out at the hotel. Mm-hmm. Is He plays one set with Emerson, and Emerson wins. Um, what happens with older players, they just can't sustain. You know, they, have, they lose their skills for the long, for the, for the, they're not going to go out and play best of five. Yeah. You know, that's where the, the Grand Slams is great for the older players where they can rest. Um, you know, Super Saturday, where the, the men in the U.S., they should play the semis on Friday, have Saturday off. You know, I think Sampras, there's a good chance he could have two more U.S. Opens if they didn't change that, if yeah. he had the Friday off and then yeah. played on Sunday. He lost this. I mean, Safin played really super, and then he lost, he lost I think it was to Hewitt as well. Um, all right, Brad Gilbert, winning ugly. Mm. I remember reading that book a second time um, because Roddick had won 23 matches in a row. It's a very easy read. Yeah, a lot of good common sense in there. He's got a second book, I've uh, Got Your Back, but the, the Winning Ugly. Brad Gilbert would talk to a telephone pole. When he was a player himself, coming back to Shepherd Mead, he was a spoiler, and he really would frustrate players. Yeah. Um, how that book came about is Gilbert... And I would say he's my favorite commentator. I mean, there's some people that I've listened to in the past that are not doing it or people that unfortunately are no longer with us. But Gilbert, he knows other sports. Yeah. He's relating it to other sports all yeah. the time. Yeah. And with Gilbert, he was at the park he liked to play at where he's from in Northern Cal. He used to watch old hackers play. And he was telling Fred how to beat Bill and Bill how to beat Fred. And one of the guys was a writer and said, hey, we should write a book. And that's how he wrote the book. Um, Arthur Cohen, Arthur Cohen, I worked for Arthur Cohen. I also worked Robbie Seguzo, 
and Carling Bassett. He had a tennis academy. It was fairly short-lived. They sold it to IMG. They sold it to IMG and Everett. But it, Arthur Cohen made this happen. It was like weekly, and it was on speakerphone. Gilbert would call up, and he would just, the way he would talk to Robbie Scuzo, and Guzzo, Scuzo would just smile, and, and mm-hmm. he would go, how fat are you this week? <laughs> I know you married the rich blonde. <laughs> he goes, you need to get your, your you know, fat, lazy, da-da-da out here. But then what he would do is he would proceed and say, do you know who won the doubles this week? There's no way that those guys would, would, would beat you in flack. You need to be back out here. And But he would break down, just naturally break down their, their games. Mm. Um, you know, I know, say, for example, Raven Klassen, you know, now he's married and has a little boy, Carter, but what he would do at tournaments is he would just hang out. Because I have practice, I'm here. He would yeah. just, just stay and watch people. Yeah. You really need to watch people play. When that strategy, when juniors are finished with a match, or better yet, Welby Van Horn, who's your daddy? If you're playing a local tournament, understand, okay, you've got maybe you got to catch a flight. Um, with, um, I mean, I tell so many stories where I've stayed, okay, we got to stay and watch. Oh, what do you mean? We're done with the tournament. No, we're, we live an hour from here. We're going to stay and watch the person who beat you. Yeah. And Welby would say, who's your daddy? Did you watch your daddy play? And then when you, if you have a junior sit and watch the person who beat them, then they're going to realize, okay, they're not a superstar. They make some errors. They're not on TV. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, studying the game, back to studying the game, like Kobe Bryant, I was saying in a, one of the podcasts previous that, you know, he watched film and watched every little detail, not just the, the play time, but also the timeouts and looked at body language and then, when you really study and know the game and all the little details, when you're playing it, things almost seem like they're in slow motion. Like it's just, you just, you know, you get those instincts, you recognize different situations, when to attack and whatnot, but that all comes from studying things. Studying. I mean, the one thing that's great about the tennis channel, you know, I do, I do think the commentators overall, they make a lot of mistakes when it comes down to tactics, but you can learn so much by listening to the commentators with what they're saying about match play. Um, Fair enough. Okay, they're not technicians. Not all of them, but it really comes right down to it. You can you can learn. So, I mean, I think you know. Granted, you got to go get your homework done, but are you listening? And and that's where I don't think young players are really mentored. Um, you know, years ago, um, you just think about there weren't exhibitions, and you know, I do think it would go way back where. Took an American twenty-two days by boat to go play in Australia. <laughs> mm-hmm. Agassi, you know how that happened with Gilbert. Um, they talked to him after he wrote his book, and and uh, at the tournament where they met, Gilbert was seated higher than Agassi. Yeah, and he told Agassi, he goes, "I have so little game, and I got so much out of it. You got so much game, and you're getting so little out of it." But Jack Ockers, you just tell them, boom, yeah. this is. Then they say, "This is the guy." But here's some Agassi quotes. Play on your terms. I mean, if someone is pushing me around, I'd rather hit the ball in the bleachers. Um, make your opponent hit shots they don't want to hit. Yeah. But I think that's where kids have to have a journal. They have to, you know, they can take notes. They hear something, they write it down. Uh, but again, there's so much anxiety over winning. That goes back to Jack Kramer's quote too, where he said, you got to know your game and you got to know your opponent's game. And then you look and you go, okay, if my strengths will outweigh my opponent's strengths, then I go with my strengths. But if not, I have to make them hit shots they don't want to hit. 
but you have to know you have you know you have to have self-awareness you have to know what strengths you have and then you have to know what your opponent's strengths and weaknesses are i was coaching these two international kids overseas at the tournaments with them and they're, they're gonna play in a final i said all right let's sit down yeah here are your strengths here are your weaknesses. Here are your strengths. Here are your weaknesses. And one of the kids goes, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe you're doing this. I go, why not? They do it on TV all the time. Here's the checklist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here's your checklist. Here's your checklist. Yeah. Who, who has a better serve? Yeah, the intangibles. Yeah. Who, who, who has a better return? Yeah. With Kramer um, at the Jack Kramer <clears throat> Tennis Club, and if you read Braden's book, Kramer, who built a tennis club, bought a golf course, said he could do that because he knew under pressure Gonzalez had a continental grip on the forehand volley. Mm. If you go, no, no, you have to teach continental, you have to teach continental. It's almost continental. It's almost continental. If it is continental, you got to raise the elbow, contort the wrist, you got to be able to hit through the volley. So with, um, at the Jack Kramer Tennis Club, the Jack Kramer, everybody's using a Jack Kramer racket. Mm. He's going to come and watch some of Vic's juniors. He shows up, he watches for five minutes. He goes, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll come back in a month. None of you kids are consistent. I don't want to watch you play. You can't even keep the ball in play. Mm-hmm. And then, and that's so powerful to have someone like that, you yeah. know, say that to you. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it, I think that's a big thing that's, you know, I don't know if that's a debate, but, you know, where people are looking at statistics where the matches <clears throat> are ending, you know, most the majority of the points ending in that zero to four area. So the idea of, hey, what do you mean? Just go out there and keep it in play. The point's going to end. I got to just go out there and be offensive, offensive, offensive all the time. You know, I think that's where things are getting distorted as far as learning learning skills and learning to to rally. Toughest matches, sacrifice for the unknown. Toughest matches or challenge matches. If you win this match, you're in the lineup. You want to play six. You want to at least be in the lineup. You don't want to be number seven and out of the lineup. So, um, you know, a lot of times at the bottom of the lineup is going to be that defensive specialist. Mm -hmm. There's going to be kids that go to college. They're they're on the team. They're a warrior. They've been playing 10 years of baseline tennis. And, you know, it's like, well, no, I, I don't like to play against pushers. No, you love playing pushers. You respect pushers. You don't even use the word pushers. Yeah. Um, Matchups, A beats B, B beats C, but C beats A. You know, so it's not like, okay, matchups. Well, no, you're this, yeah. the number one player may really struggle on a college tennis team beating the number four player. Um, Bill Tilden, one word answers. What beats baseline? Net. Bill Tilden, match play and spin to the ball. It's a book that people should read. Um, what beats baseline net? What beats net is topspin. So how are you going to, how are you going to be a great player is you got to do it all. Um, Nadal, what's the strategy to beat Nadal? And Nadal goes, that's easy. Never miss and be super aggressive. Yeah. Well, I think too, going along with matchups and that is, you know, when you're charting somebody or scouting an opponent, you know, you may get, okay, oh, at 30 all, they served out wide, you know, five out of six times. But when they play you, they may not serve out wide five out of six times because it's, it's a different matchup. You know, they may think that your forehand's better or whatever it is. So, you know, with statistics and all that kind of stuff, you, you do have to be careful because things are not always how that. Yeah, I, I think certainly when you're talking about strategy with a match, all the work should be done. The kid should be well-trained. On the, on the pro tour, the level where 
uh, the young players, they can't afford a coach. They're better off with a physio than a coach. By the time someone is playing for ATP, WTA points, they should be an independent thinker, problem solver. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not undermining statistics and, and charting. Um, yeah. We do it, and, and we know that it's important, but you just can't put every little ounce of faith on it because things things are changing. You have to be able to problem solve. You have to be able to adapt. You know, players are going to adapt according to what you're doing and vice versa. Jimmy Connors once lost national TV tournament champions, Forest Hills, 6060 to Lendl. But he also, he beat Lendl two CU Open finals. And he's much smaller physically than Lendl. He went right up to him and goes, I'm coming right at your forehand. I'm just coming right at your forehand. Mm. Um, so, you know, we talked about how to play pushers. But I'll go to someone's strength. If someone is really very steady from the baseline, and you say, oh, and you come to the net and everything, you're just giving them a target. The, the, the baseline... Excuse me. The baseline player is going to be very good with passing shots. You know, so that's where you can you can bring them in. We call it reeling the fish. Now, much easier to do on clay. Much easier to do in the early age groups. Um, use recently. Uh, I mean, he won the Orange Bowl. But, uh, Hugo Gaston. You know, he became a public figure by playing, you know, very well on the ATP tour. Mm. So I was had some players fourteen and unders were at uh, tennis Europe tournaments and uh hugo three different weeks uh he shows up and he's 12 and i kept telling the guys this guy is so good because he was so cool i mean that's the strategy Mm -hmm. you know um the the mental part of the game with but bringing the player in so player doesn't like to come to the net you know you can you you don't want to out of a whim okay i'm hitting a drop shot Mm -hmm. arthur asked you to say that that's a sign that someone is copying out it's it's a many many tank they just all of a sudden hit a drop shot they're in the ground stroke exchange but a, a, a drop shot we call it an invitation shot it, it's it's bringing the fish in a fish doesn't like to be out of water so yeah. someone who doesn't like to be at the net it's, it's much easier to do at the lower levels but you hit high and deep high and deep so say for example you go high cross court they go way back and then you're going to come in you want to be hitting from three quarters court you don't want to be back in the red zone deep and hitting an invitation shot yeah so you're not trying to hit an outright winner, but when they come in, the ball is going to be below the level net and they're going to be stretched out and then you can pass them, lob them. Um, you, you want to practice all those different situations. Yeah. You know, bangers, how do you play a banger? Typically people bang against a banger. So it's a slugfest. Mm-hmm. Is this human nature? Oh, they hit hard, I'll hit hard. Yeah. And um, say, okay, I've got to make sure that I can counter their speed with spin. And, um, you know, they're just back playing offensive tennis from the baseline. So, you know, you don't, you don't want to let them um, play that way the whole time. So, well, they miss. Cause a lot of times what'll happen, they'll, they'll win the first, you, you just let them hit, you let the banger bang and uh, you win the first set cause they just miss. Yeah. But they find their range. They keep, they play the same way all three sets, but then you end up losing because you're just hoping they miss. You don't want to ever get to the point where you're just hoping that people miss. You got to get people to, you got to force people to miss. Mm. We always say, don't play on a hope, a wish, and a prayer. Yeah, play play on your terms. It's better to have the match on your racket than say, okay, I'm I'm just counting on them to miss. You know that that's nervous tennis. Um, so what you're saying is playing somebody who's you know really offensive. If you know if you just try to bang with the banger, you know physics is it'll you know you get half your opponent's speed plus one and a half times your own speed. So it, it, things go faster, 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 faster. And then it just gets out of control. 
and misses. So you've got to be able to mix things up with. Well, you got to yeah, you, you got to be able off. to use the ground, ground reaction force. You got to keep that head, your own head still. Don't let your say it's a forehand. Don't let your shoulder pull out. Um, the greater the incoming speed, the better balance you need to be in. I mean, you you cannot be shifting your head, yeah. pulling open. What I'm saying is you've got to you've got to be able to change the speed a little bit. You've got to be able to hit spin. Yeah, to change you, change you, things up. You think of the three physical characteristics: speed, spin, trajectory. Uh, most kids, it's, they're just hitting the same ball. They're not. They're not saying, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna arc a ball." Like I said with Agassi hitting the moon ball. Yeah, ball gets above their shoulder. Then now he's inside the baseline. Yeah, tagging the ball, just like people blasting. The blast plays the blaster. Is it's amazing to me when one kid hits slice. You have so many kids hitting two handed. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit out of position. Their legs are crossed. They float a slice. They hit a weak shot. Yeah. You'd say a minus. A minus. And then the opponent slices back. I go, what are you doing? Yeah. But, you know, it's a sucker pitch a lot of times because, you know, that's what coming back to knowing baseball. It's a sucker pitch. You know, they throw the change up. They throw it slow. Hmm. And then the person's ahead of it. Baseball, they hit a foul ball. Yeah. But in tennis, if you all of a sudden just float a ball, the banger's going to bang it out because yeah. even when you have a very efficient swing, the angle of the racket face is closed, vertical, and open. And that's a great way to get a free point. But many times people are just so nervous. All you got to do is watch them in between points. I go, really? <laughs> I mean, come on, have a, a little bit of a poker face. Yeah, that's been cool. Let's talk about playing lefties. Why don't you say a few things about playing lefties? Well, the first thing is, is obviously the, the return. It's trying to take away their favorite serve, which is usually to the backhand side. So whether it's the deuce court or the ads court, you could cheat a little bit. And take that away from them and just say, hey, if you're going to beat me, you're going to beat me hitting a serve that you don't like, number one. Um, and then, we, you know, we use the Nadal-Federer example quite often where Federer was running around his backhand and then hitting into Nadal's forehand, which was not the best pattern to get into. Um, but obviously each player is different, but if you can get your forehand going against an opponent's backhand, that would be the pattern you want to get into. It's Dan Smith. He was quoted saying years ago, Wimbledon champion, US Open champion. He thought lefties should have their own tournaments. <laughs> uh, people don't like playing lefties. Uh, the US Open was won on the men's I mean, side. Lefties like playing lefties, right? True, true, true. <laughs> lefties are lefty. So the US Open was won 10 years in a row. It's a great trivia question. It was 10, 10 years in a row by uh, four different lefties Arantes, Vilas, Connors, and McEnroe. Mm. Steve Denton, who uh, came through us for some tennis information years ago, great player. Um, he loves, he's the coach at Texas A&M. He loves to recruit lefties. Um, lefties are going to have their, the tendency to try to hit slice serves all the time wide in the ad court. Yeah. As you said, you got to stand in opposite positions. Um, it's amazing how many lefties, they have very good forehands. And one reason they have very good forehands is they've played so many years of tennis where the person on the other side doesn't even know they're lefty. I hit to the backhand, hit to the backhand. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing when you ask someone after a match, did you know you were playing lefty? And the kid goes, yeah, I knew there was something weird about his game. <laughs> With, um, yeah, It's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. But um, the same thing is that's where you want to scout. Pancho Segura used to say that. Don't scout too long. Don't watch too long. You're sitting in the hot sun. And also, too, if you're watching someone who's playing really well, you start, start going, well, this guy's really good. Yeah. Just, just watch enough. And, you know, the pros, they don't really watch. I mean, those they report that they will watch on TV, but they have their coach go. Um, yep. You know, at the lower levels, um, 
you know, you can get on YouTube. I've helped a couple different students of mine that had opportunities to be at least interviewed to coach people that are playing on the tour. And it's very easy to get a hundred points and even say, well, let's see how they, you know, do some homework. Yeah. Do a report, how they play on grass, how they play on clay, how they play on hard. Yeah. Um, how about the big forehand? There's, is that such a thing? There's a big forehand? Um, go, yeah, you know, I'd say go to the strength. Um, go to the strength. I was talking to Tennis Singer one time, and he had a winning record over Stevie Johnson. You know, Stevie Johnson slicing the ball. He's going to toss it in backhand. And I just asked Sanger, and I said, how are you going to play him? He goes, I'm going to go two to the forehand, one to the backhand. Yeah. And it, he, it, it was uh, to get in the Australian Open. Uh, Stevie Johnson just forgot to sign up. He was good enough to get in, but he didn't sign up. So there was a qualifier uh, here in the States, you know, exchanging wild cards. And Sanger lost that match. But what happened was it got into the fourth set. Johnson was getting good enough to get the ball back, and Sanger didn't, didn't volley well enough. But a big forehand, you go, just like Connors to Lendl. I'm going right at it. Well, I think moving – the thing is, is these days people are – looking for that pattern where they run around the backhand and go inside out or inside in with a forehand. It's where I've seen a lot of the players struggle with the forehand moving to the right for a right-hander, right? So that's exactly what you were talking about with Sangren is like, I'm just going to play it over there where they're not used to moving in that direction so much. They're always looking to move to the left, a right-hander to hit their forehand, you know, running around the backhand. So that's the, that's the play. A lot of times is just to take him out. Young guy played at Vanderbilt. A guy younger played with Vanderbilt, Gonzalez, Austin, Austin Gonzalez. And um, my son uh, was at Kalamazoo. He pulls a muscle, and he, he really did pull a muscle. It wasn't one of these cop-outs where he wasn't going to play the back draw because this, this, that summer he went to college, which I thought was a smart thing, the coach having to get used to be on campus, and he hadn't played that much. But he was playing Jack Sock in the 16s. I didn't say one word, but there's actually an article on Colette Lewis's uh, website, Zoo Tennis, because Gonzalez Austin thanked Connor for coaching him, and he beat Sock. And I said, just hit right to his forehand, don't because he just he just he doesn't want to move to his right. Yeah. Now, so you're playing somebody. Say, for example, someone's really strong, elbows in, continental grip, racket face is open on the forehand side. You're playing somebody who doesn't take the ball out of the air, and go high to their forehand. The ball is going to bounce above their shoulder. Mm-hmm. So again, playing on your terms, but you don't want to uh, say, "Well, I can't hit to their forehand." Yeah, just just go right at it. But it's a matter of, you know, the whole thing getting the ball out of their strike zone. You know, the hitting zone, the strings tracking out towards the target, becomes shorter when the ball is out of the strike zone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting to go with uh, pros, past and present. Um, you know, I think of you know Jimmy Connors coached Andy Roddick, and you gotta love Roddick. He was a great fighter. I mean. Um, you know, if you like uh, little sarcasm, people say best best interview in tennis. Yeah, definitely. With you know who wins, I think you know I'd have to go with Jimmy because Jimmy's return to serve was so good. Comes back to the checklist. You know, you don't know, but it's just fun. You say, hey, how yeah. how would the players match up against one another? And I think what happens, Joe Public, is I don't think there's enough respect for players from the past. Players from the past. Yeah. Um, this is something from my. Uh, Dick Braden, so funny, and he used to talk about single strategy. Borg versus Connors. <laughs> and tennis boomed in the 70s. 
And, you know, Mary Carrillo said about Connors, he might not be the best player of all time, but he's the most important player of all time. Now, some people might cringe to hear that, but I mean, tennis was so popular in the U.S. and he was like the Muhammad Ali of tennis. But he had a slight reset on the forehand side mm-hmm. and his, his grip was underneath. So the racket face was closed. So, you know, Jimmy knew his forehand was the suspect or Jimmy knew his forehand was weak. So it goes like this. Jimmy knows. Bjorn, Bjorn knows. Jimmy knows. Bjorn knows. The Jimmy knows. Jimmy knows that Bjorn knows. The Jimmy knows. The Bjorn knows. Everybody, Everybody knows. <laughs> so if some young kid has a weakness, um, I heard John Lafayette say this uh, many times, been a long time, but he was trained just a little bit when he was a kid. He went on, made some money playing doubles. I think he's the semifinals many times in, in, the, in the Grand Slams. Then he's in the Fed Cup, the Davis Cup coach in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And um, on the pro circuit, if you have a weakness, they will find it. Yeah. But they have the skill level to place the ball. Yep. It's like hitting the ball too hard. That's a mistake. People try to hit the ball too hard. They think the pros are doing that. They think the pros are hitting the ball lower over the net. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's been proven, it's been measured that many times the challenger level players are hitting the ball with right. more speed than the players on the main tour. Yeah. And that's why they're not on the main tour. <laughs> um, here's Roddick again, uh, Andy Roddick. He's playing Davis Cup match. He has one of the best serves, arguably, if not the best serve at one time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, right up there. He's known for his serve. He plays five sets for the U.S. on a California hard court. Doesn't serve like one time. Mm-hmm. So he, obviously, he didn't do that when he was younger. Yeah. But... Um, he's so honest when you hear him, you know, talk about his game. Yeah. Um, Patrick McEnroe, uh, this was for the world to hear. Patrick's on the bench. It was another Davis Cup match. He told Roddick, why don't you serve in volley? Sir, going behind your serve. So he does, and he loses a point. And it's courtside microphone. And he just, you know, he just tells Patrick, that was stupid. <laughs> and um, here's something for college coaches. When you're coaching from the bench, strategy okay i would advise people just make it a suggestion don't make it imperative don't make it a direct you know when it comes to your advice you have to do this just Mm -hmm. just make it because you know strategy is just not that black and white say okay this is the plan you know it's never you know it's it's not that it's totally a gray gray area but um yes but you know on the women's side where they allow coaching I've experienced that a few times. And a lot of times a coach will go in and just say way too much. Yeah. You know, you got to get them to loosen up. Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's just hey, to go in there and give a little encouragement, but I've seen it backfire where, you know, they try to go through way too many things and it's just like, boom. I, I spent a lot of time coaching Robert Steckley, Ishvan Toth, great guy, hun- Hungarian who grew up in, in uh, I spent a lot of time in Toronto and, yeah, you can get on YouTube and listen to this Deckley. Um, he's done a lot of coaching on the tour, especially mm-hmm. on the women's side. Yeah. But yeah, you got to loosen them up. Keep it simple. Um, you know, your heart rate will go up um, if you frown. Your heart rate will go down if you smile. Mm. Tiebreaker test. You know, when we go out and we feed six basic shots, cross-court forehand, cross-court backhand, alternate approach shot. And you know, I like how when you do it, you have people hit that first volley deep. Yeah. It just helps them so much with strategy, but also just with mechanics and hitting a better volley. Yeah. Uh, Roberto Cal, I spoke to him the other day. We worked together for 15 years, a coach from uh, Bolivia, great guy. 
he used to just tell people, um, this is something else strategically, but he used to tell people just the strategy is just a tiebreaker test. Yeah. But granted, you can mix up your approach shots a little bit, but basically cross court to the middle deep, wait for the short ball. Yeah. What's your goal in the rally? You know, you're waiting for your opponent to miss, hit short, or change the direction of the ball. That's it. Yeah. You don't miss. You're waiting for them to miss. Um, with, um, with the tiebreaker test, you know, we, we put people through that on day one and it's not to make anybody feel bad, but we just did it the other day for two players visiting here and they're both 07, 07. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. The target, you know, we put down the five targets. We, in the service box, we draw, we call it the treasure. Yeah. X marks the spot. Now I've done so many traveling clinics when you, you have a kid at the net, they're ready to hit a, a cross court volley. Here's the teacher. You're in the corner. So this is where the passing shots are coming from. Yeah. And Vandermeer used to do this. He said, okay, take the ball, run over here, set it down, show me where you're aiming. Yeah. And they put it right smack on the intersection of yeah. the two lines. Right. Service One line, single side line. line. Yeah. If you aim to the middle, bullseye, yeah. then it's the flight of the ball that goes yeah. that intersects those two it's lines. Leave at the same angle, yeah. Um Federer and Nadal, let's talk about them for a minute. First match, I believe the first match they ever played was in Miami. I thought you were gonna say overrated, but Okay, let's go with those two. Those two guys play a little bit. Uh, it's interesting. Feder, it might not have been the first match, but I would bet it would be. Some some of our listeners could let me know. I get some feedback up from these podcasts for sure, which is great. We need the criticism. You may not, but I do. <laughs> so Feder had the flu. He probably shouldn't have played. Just makes you wonder if he, they, he didn't play that match. So really early, Nadal was five years younger. He gets a win over the Fed. Yeah. So psychologically, it might have had something to do with the rivalry. <laughs> um, with Uncle Tony. Uncle Tony sits down with his nephew and says, well, let's make a checklist. Rogers, is for, his forehand's better. His yeah. backhand's better. Serves better. Volley's <laughs> better. He moves better. <laughs> and then Rafa goes, well, I'm losing some confidence here. And then he just talked about tangibles and intangibles. Hmm. But um, Roger Fetter was running around his backhand hitting his forehand into Nadal's forehand. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've mentioned it where, okay, he didn't volley as well as Edberg. He said that I'd go in more if I volleyed like Edberg because Edberg was coaching one time. Yeah. So then Djokovic shows up is it took him to start using analytics in 2017. He played so well. He said it was the best 20 minutes of his tennis career, in the 20 minutes of the Australian open to beat mm -hmm. Nadal. Um, here's the thought where, so someone heard us uh, or read on a post, we're just trying to help people out uh, with sharing what we've learned over the years. And, you know, someone said, you idiot, you know, how could you, you know, be critical of Roger Federer? <laughs> well, the article said, dear Mr. Roger Federer, sir. Yeah. You know, one time he came in against uh, Nadal, I think it was 17% points into the net and he won 73. Well, Las Vegas would say, go in more and win less and, you know, the money will be on your side. Yeah. But Bill Walsh, the famous football coach, said you never know where a good idea comes from it, because he used to listen to the talking heads on, yeah. on in, the, in the call ins on, on right. radio. Right. Um, with, um, let's go. What else you got you want to share with the listeners on strategy? Well, I've got a few questions. That we uh, uh, sent in. Let's just go through a few things before we get there. Um, the first four warm-ups. Okay, mm -hmm. you get up in the morning, you do something in your house. Ideally, you're going to practice against the backboard, on a court, ideally, in a parking lot. Yeah, shadow You have lane. your traditional warm-up. 
the first four games, that's a, still a warm up, trying to figure out, okay, what's going to work, what's not going to work. I tell I tell juniors if I can watch a match, it's six three six three, and the player loses. If I watch the match, and I tell the player just a few things: one, quit missing wide, you know, make them play, yeah, um, hit higher to hit deeper. It's pretty easy to turn a six three six three match around. Say someone gets beat six zero six zero. We have someone just started with this. They lost to one of our other players six zero six zero, and I said my goal is to get you to beat player next to you mm-hmm. you're a year younger my goal is to get where you could beat him and it's fun to do that it's fun to turn things around yeah so say out of six points one person's winning four the other person's winning two if that happens consecutively you lose six oh six oh yeah if you can get one point better out of six now you're three three you've improved 17 percent and now you're dead even yeah. so that's a strategy too is say we got to convince the person we're talking to that they're not playing Batman, they're not playing Superman, they're they're not playing a superhero. Yeah. Um, here's one of the best stories. This is really tying with strategy. You know, if you start reading about uh, Jimmy Connors and his mom, um, he gets over in Europe. He's this was not his book, so I've heard this story. Was it ever confirmed? It wasn't confirmed in his autobiography. So. You know, you hear things versus read things. This is accurate. But Jimmy Connors, he's over in Europe. He's playing on red clay. And he comes home early. Comes home early. Gloria met him at the St. Louis airport. And he never left the airport. (laughs) She just put him right back on. (laughs) So say, for example, kids were to go out and play three sets. I mean, if you're not very good from the baseline, stay back. If you're not very good at the net, go to the net. You know, it's practice. Yeah. If you say, oh, hey, let's play three sets. You're going to play one more defensively, one more offensively, and then try to combine the two. Yeah, just for that goal to have an all-around game, to have options, right? You know, I think a strategy, 104-9. I've told those stories so many times. Mm. San Francisco's last match comes in at 104 times. People didn't copy him because yeah. they want to win at every level. Um, Narazilova's great underspin backhand approach won Wimbledon nine times. Name nine women that have hit it since she retired. It's yeah. hard to do. Um, college tennis. Um, tell kid could put this in her shoulder bag. A lot of college coaches years ago, I don't know about so much now, they would have their players read The Art of War. Hmm. You know, retreat attack. When you hit a great lob, always, and you, you have to stay away from those two words, always and never, never. but when you hit a great lob, and your opponent is running as fast as they can. They may run right into the fence. And you stay, you stay back at the baseline picking your nose. I mean, you need to, you need to attack. Yeah. You know, Hitler should have waited to uh, <laughs> attack Russia. Um, he should have waited to the spring. You know, so he, he wasn't taking on Russia. He was taking on the Russian winner. Mm. With Jeff Vanderbilt, um, he was coaching Vanderbilt for years and years. He recruited one of our players. And he was being really nice to me. He said, well, you know, you know so much about tennis, da, da, da. Your player knows so much about tennis. It'd be nice to both. Who was it? Jeff who? Jeff McDonald. Yeah. And he said to the student, I'll never forget it, said, um, you're being shot at from a foxhole. What do you do? And, you know, that's too bad. Now with cell phones and what have you, people don't talk to you know, older people enough used to be, and it's still that way in some countries where you, you know, you're in a pub restaurant and there's three, three generations in Mm -hmm. one room. Yeah. But 
Um, you know, so it was in the Korean War, and the foxhole, you know, do they even know what that means? You know, so the, the enemy fires coming from their underground, and you can't, you can't see them. So the Marines, and that's, this is just trying to tell somebody that you're not patient enough in the rally. You're shot tolerance. You're, you, you just don't keep enough balls in play. You're pulling the trigger too soon. And um, so the Marines, they got down on their bellies, and they just circle around the foxholes. And they're going to have to eventually come out for water. Yeah, they're going to, you know, um, you know, is really the water they can hang in there without the food. Yeah. Um, you know, history with strategy. Jimmy Connors, love to talk about Connors. Um, with Rosewall, 1954-1974 in the Wimbledon final, okay, really close to the baseline. Played the ball on the rise. So Jimmy Connors goes, he, he beats Rosewall at 74 twice, Wimbledon US Open, almost to 94, but 91. He's not going to do order to win the US Open, you know, famous run. So you think here's two players, 40 years. Yeah. You know, what did they do? It just comes down, they were so basic, you yeah. know, so clean the way they hit a tennis ball. Yeah. Um, with, um, I think, changing the direction of the ball. You can still find this online, Paul Wardlaw, Directionals. Mm -hmm. I think his contribution to tennis is great. Um, he has a book called Pressure Tennis. Someone told me that he's the headmaster of a, a prep school in New England now. But he coached college tennis. Uh, he won Division three titles. And then he you know, he got the program at, uh, in a Big Ten school, Iowa, on the map at one time. Um, he came to one of my courses I taught at the University of Illinois with – uh, let's just talk about changing the direction of the ball. Yeah, I, I think, again, this goes back to tennis math. In that episode, I think we talked about some of these things with numbers, but the angle of deflection, you know, it's really like Jack Kramer's, who was it, his teacher, that helped him understand geometry of the tennis court much more, and then he based his tennis off of that, just having an understanding of, oh, okay, if the ball's coming in cross-court, it's going to want to leave at that same angle. So when you're changing the direction... It's riskier. Yeah. So, with um, first of all, when you take a ball down the line, you're in a ground stroke exchange. You go down the line. So many variables. There's more variables. Bill Jacobson. There's more variables in tennis than there is in chess. Mm. So, ball gets above your shoulder. So now you you really can't use your your trunk, the kinetic chain, the hitting zone. Short hitting zone. Yeah. So you're not going to be able to hit the balls offensively. You're not going to be able to generate the racket hit speed. But anyway, let's just go with four and a half feet shorter. Mm -hmm. The net's higher, which is pretty insignificant because you're telling people hit higher with the net. If you're off by one degree, you can miss wide. You actually, you make your opponent run, but they can make you run more. Yeah. When you change the direction of the ball, if you're staying baseline to baseline, you have to take more steps to recover because you have to bisect. You don't go yeah. right to the middle. You have to bisect the potential angle of the return. If you're right-handed, you got to get to the left side of the center mark. And then the psychology, you know, Rocky six, toe to toe, my forehand to your forehand. Let's go. Yeah. It don't. It, and then you chart chart that. Braden was always saying, the 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 person who changes the direction of the ball, they're going to lose the point most of the time. Mm -hmm. You got to chart it. Um, what are you waiting for? You waiting for your opponent to miss, hit short, change the direction of the ball. Yeah. But Wardlaw, um, you go to YouTube, Paul Wardlaw, the outside ball, the inside ball. If a ball crosses your body, yeah. you, you don't want to change the direction of the ball. Yeah. It has a lot to do with the physics of it. Yeah. You take the ball back where it came from. Mm -hmm. 
Um, actually, uh, on the video, Joanna Russell won Wimbledon doubles in, I think, 79. She has reset swings on both sides, but what a great spirit. Um, she, um, she grew up right behind Chris Everett, so she learned to lose a little bit in juniors. Um, <laughs> she, she coached college tennis. She's a commentator. But, yeah, Paul Wardlaw, uh, look that up as far as directionals. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't really need to make that much happen out there. Keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it simple. Um, you know, and again, if they say the downline approach shot, um, stay in the rally. If they have a really weak backhand, wait till you get a ball closer to the center and approach cross court. You know, if you don't have the underspin approach shot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it all comes down to skills, right? Yeah. Um, and then self-awareness. You, you really have to take an honest look at what your strengths are, what shots you actually own. And then, and then do your best to set yourself up for those shots. Yeah, you know, you can have kids go out and do the figure eight. One player hit down the line, one player cross court, say, okay, come here. Which player has to run more? Yeah. Which player has to run more? You know, so, you know, there is that, okay, I really want this player to win. So you can work within a player's game and go, okay, you are much, this is a two twelve and under players. So you're much stronger than your opponent. You can run longer than your opponent. You can run faster than your opponent. And then that can be a really good thing to change the direction of the ball. But what I would really encourage is don't teach kids to win at an early age. Teach them to compete. Teach them to play a game that will develop the instincts. Yeah. You know, it's very easy for me to just point fingers and go, yeah, you've played at least three to five years of tournament tennis. You were playing the orange ball when you were eight now. Mm. And, you know, so early competing the green dot ball and the great tools. But at the same time is you don't go forward. You don't put combinations together. It's just like, I'm going to hit a cross court approach shot, excuse me, a cross court forehand. Okay. In this situation, they ask me to hit downline approach. Shot, I'm going to hit a cross court volley. Yeah. And you feed those three shots and you're getting, if you make three, you get an A, you make two, you get a D mm -hmm. you make one, you get an F. We even do it where, okay, you feed these three shots, you sign the shots and, uh, if you miss the first one, go pick a ball up. Miss the second one, go pick up two balls. Third one, you're out. You're mm -hmm. close enough to pick up three. Or just change it up. Where you miss, you got to go pick a ball up. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one thing, too, is strategy. You know, you're out on the court with, um, you know, there's about 250 balls in one of those Cadillac carts. And these kids just get sloppy. You know, there's that tennis camp in France years ago where you go to the camp and you and your partner, so you don't really get one tennis ball. You share one tennis ball. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a way to get people to play. Yeah. Um, you know, you can do so many things. Kids are playing a set. They make an unforced error. Every time there's an unforced error, run, jog to the other side. Yeah. No, you got to switch sides. It's an unforced error. They just, they just find themselves running around, <laughs> running around. Yep. Crummy plays crummy or who wins? Crummy wins, but crummy doesn't know they're crummy. Yeah. The match, it can be like a nosebleed when you chart it. It's like, yeah, it's like 90% unforced errors. Don't want to make anybody feel bad. Um, one thing, you know, at what point do you start to go, well, you know, let's say they, you know, they're developing skills, good strokes, are able to rally, you know, then to start implementing some offense. You know, what what kinds of things you do to go, okay. Cause, because, you know, people look at, okay, serve plus one, you know, those those terms, or serve, look, look to hit a big forehand, or, or have a weapon, you know, which the serve and the forehand obviously are the two biggest weapons in today's game. Well... What do you say about old people? Something about behind the wheel? <laughs> you want me to go through it again? One more time. This comes from Dumb and Dumber, which is a movie. 
that most of you should know. Senior citizens. He says, you know, it's true what they say. Senior citizens, although slow and dangerous behind the wheel, still can serve a purpose. Might well, can still serve a purpose. With it's old, with old people, like I mean, the, the, again, there's positives with progressive tennis, the, the tenant underlines it's positive, but when it comes down to play tons and tons of mini tennis, the rule is you're play with a tennis ball, but you can't hit the ball hard. And you play mini tennis where you got to stay back. Mm-hmm. You play mini tennis where you can come in. You can play mini tennis, one service box straight ahead to another service box and you have to come in. And if you don't make it fun, you know, the kids have to play. Yeah. You can't, you just can't train and train. And when it comes down to one's level of stroke production, we have a coach, great coach from Columbia working with us right now. He's come to visit for the last 15 years. So he was asking about a player. So players had a lot of bad luck with injuries. So someone's stroke production goes way up, but their level of competing doesn't go up. Mm -hmm. So there's a buildup breakdown process. You have to let people play. Um, you just don't want to have them totally abandon ship. You're working with them on something and then they just like, yeah. okay, I'm going back to my old. What I think, you know, really for me is the, the idea of the principle-based tennis to where, hey, that was a sitter. You need to do something with that. You know, you need to take some offense there. You were in the offensive area, the red zone. You need to go for a little more. Or, hey, it's a short ball. You need to come in. You know, that's an overhead. You need to hit that. You know, or vice versa, Hey, the percentage play, you know, from way back here, because the angle of the court is to center the ball, you know, so you can help players, I think, from every position of the court, know the best play possible. But that getting into the offense, it's not just going out and slapping it. It's like, okay, the right shot at the right time, you know, make it principled that way. And then obviously, you know, you've got your black blocked variable and then random practice where sometimes you got to do the block practice. You got to do the same forehand or backhand over and over and over again, get the skill. And then you start to vary it, different heights, speed, spins. And then it becomes random, which is really match play. But you can also do patterns of play, which we do all the time, where you set up different scenarios and then practice situational training, which is just patterns. Yeah, I think with... Um um, is it chess, tennis, strat- single strategy? Is it chess? Is it checkers? Or is it really tic-tac-toe? And I mean, I mean, I tell kids all the time, I think you're colorblind. I know we talked about taking, a, 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 we're going to get some, uh, either another court, two courts built and taking one court. And um, some of my students over the years have done this. You just take the entire back of the court and you paint it red. Yeah. In the middle of the court, you paint it yellow. Yeah. In the front of the court, you paint it green. Uh, Braden used to have all those markings on the court. Yeah. Um, with, um, but again, people just want to win. And when it comes down to, you think about how well, people want to win without a forehand backhand serve. Right. <laughs> and, you know, you think about other sports. Bobby Knight, the basketball coach. I mean, he used to make it a big deal where everybody has a notebook and they find a the kid finally starts to grasp something. Um, you know, I think as a, a tennis parent, you know, my son Connor for the longest time, a little bit slow with the feet and he would hit a slice forehand and he'd be reprimanded by everybody helping me. And then when it comes, finally came down to it, then he started to realize that, um, it's, you know, you, you know, granted sometimes emergency shot, that's all you can do, but you just, you want to get over there. Um, it's like if you're down match point and you're going to hit a passing shot, how would you want to hit it? Yeah. You want to push it or you just go for it? Yeah. 
you have a much better chance of having the racket be right at the hit. Um, I like what you said, principle-based tennis. You know, if it's a short ball in a certain area, you just go. You're yeah. not. You're gonna not. You're gonna not go because of the score. Well, and I think it was Labor who said it might have been Kramer, but Labor. I think it was Labor. But basically, you hit the shot that needs to be hit. So in your last, um, what you were just talking about, the passing shot. It's like you just hit the shot that needs to be hit. You know. Yeah, Vic was fortunate to spend a lot, of, a lot of time around Labor. So players used to go to Ireland before England, and yeah. and he uh, he lost, and um, he's just talking about, well, yeah, but I was hitting the ball so deep, I was just missing by inches over the baseline. Or they used to have these CBS $10,000 winner-take-all matches, and he was playing uh, Cliff Ritchie, and they came down, but they had a nine-point tiebreaker at one time. It wasn't fair because one person got to serve yeah. three because they went two, two, and then three. And mm. so Labor cracks a passing shot. It hits the net, and, uh, and you know, it bounces off to the side. Yeah. And Vic was very nervous. He goes, I got to interview this guy. Yeah. And Labor goes, no, that was a great match. I played awesome. Yeah. I think he, goes, he, was, he goes, he just played a little better than I did. It's in his book. Yeah, I thought he was saying something like... Uh, Going fishing. Yeah, how was that? Oh, you know... We're going fishing this weekend. We, we know where these really big fish are. And he's going like, hey, you just missed that shot. And he's going, no, no, no. Are you kidding me? I killed that thing. You know, Bill Tilden, tennis players are born out of defeat. Uh, again, um, you know, you can learn so much by talking to different people. I think with Ty Tucker, you know, he's not going to ask, hey, these two play, who wins? He's going to say, if they play 10 times, mm. what's the breakdown going to be? Mm. No such thing as an undefeated tennis player. Edberg, one year he wins the U.S. Open. And... Um, Wimbledon, but uh, the Australian and the French, he lost in the first round. Um, yeah. You know, these great players, Agassi, what a fantastic player. He, he won the French <laughs> once. He won Wimbledon once. Yeah. I mean, great, great player. So I think perspective, that's that's part of the teaching as well. The, me, the, um, awarenesses, oh, okay, uh, yeah. go through that quickly. Yeah. Self-awareness is number one. Court position, mm -hmm. ball position, the position of the contact point. So, it's, it's racket position. So yeah. self-awareness, court position, ball position, racket position. The score is one of the awarenesses. The elements, the wind, mm -hmm. the sun. And then finally, last is your opponent. Vic used to, his wife used to tell Melody, he used to say, I wish you'd quit doing that. He would take his finger and he'd pretend he was picking his nose and having the racket go like this. Imagine your opponent is doing this. Yeah. Um, you know, Vic used to say, there's only one ball and it's on your side of the net. Yeah, and you've got it. There's no reason to freak <laughs> out. So I think you know, when it comes down to the different awarenesses, um, I think really it's on there. You'd need to be aware of the score, but I'd say for the most part, that's all people aware of. Aware of. And, you know, have some fun figuring it out. You yeah. play the first set to figure out how to play the second and third. Mm -hmm. um, if you're down the first set, you're down 1-0 in a game, play to two. Yeah. So... You know, one's thinking is, is is tactical as well because if you can't get someone to be a thinking competitor, they can't be a competitor. Um, I just have a few things on practice. We've already touched a little bit on that. Um, Talking about practice. Yeah, then you can rattle off some questions here. Um, you know, it comes down to a kid plays a uh, piano and he goes to a recital, makes a mistake, they keep on going. In tennis... Again, gas, lean on the fire, make a mistake. And, you know, okay, what was the mistake? The process, mistake, correction. Mm -hmm. About 50 points played in a set, about five patterns of points. 
and at a really young age, it's like, okay, there's double faults. Yeah. They miss returns <laughs> and they miss ground strokes. They, you know, forehand, backhand, and then a cadence. So they miss it forehand or backhand in a rally. And then the fifth one with the lowest level of play um, is they just are slap happy going for a forehand. $100 shot, 10 cent position. Yeah. Um, with, again, it's a skill set and a mindset when it comes down to strategy. With practice, we mentioned play different sets, different ways, the situations, create the situation, um, uh, assignments, tell someone. I had someone play the other day. I said, okay, you get one serve and you can't hit topspin. Figure it out. Um, and then you can have people play, said, okay, you can only stay back. Or excuse me, the first, you have to hit three ground strokes in the in the first, then you got it for, they're just, you know, you can make, you got to hit five ground strokes and you play it out, hit five shots and play it out, mm-hmm. but give them an assignment. Um, yeah. You know, people should be able to play a side spin forehand. You know, the racket phase is vertical. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to pull outside in. You're not going to hit it with as much force. You shorten the lever, but you keep the racket phase vertical a long time. And in emergency situa- situation, you're going to have to hit that. Uh, but to really challenge someone, you know, if you do that with someone and say, well, you can't hit topspin, say they've got extreme grips and they can't play. You know, so early on, um, you know, you can go the other way and say, okay, I'm going to take two players, I'm going to tape their hand to a continental grip. It's like, go play. Yeah. And then, you know, they got to have racket awareness and figure it out because they're, they're going to, at a high level, they're going to have to be able to hit a ball standing on their head. Yeah. There's, it's not like, okay, I have to have perfect swings. Welby Van Horn, improvise within a fundamental range of correctness. Braden yeah. can't violate physical laws. Yeah, there's all those basics and then, trying to create practice situations where you make things totally random or where they have to solve different types of problems. Like, hey, you can only use a continental grip. Go solve that problem. Uh, you can put, you know, I know we'll take a session just on doubles. I had kids playing today. You get to serve until you lose a point. I want you just to count how many points you've won. And it's okay, stop. How many points have you won on your serve? How many points have you won on your serve? Uh, so with that group dynamics, you put six people on the court, you play more points in doubles with six on a court than you can with four. Yeah. Uh, you put four people on a court and you say, okay, serve and volley. Every boy, every point serve and volley. You can do it where it's rush and crush and they both have to come in. When, um, if you've got somebody who can't volley, have them play half court singles. Yeah. You know, they serve, they come in, you're, then it's going to comes down, it comes down to what's better, the person's volley or the person's ground strokes, because on, you only got 13 and a half feet. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad if people are running around their volley on 13 and a half feet. <laughs> and every time they're running around their 14, forehand on 13 and a half feet. So you, you, you keep making the rules. You see the problems go, no, you can't run around your sh- shots. And then the thing is they don't close in. Okay. We'll play the same game, but you can't lob. Yeah. You keep, you know, you look at the problems and say, these are the solutions. Um, you know, I've had people play where when they miss wide, they automatically lose the game. And, you know, they're go out, play set, and you you miss wide, you lose the game. And, and they, they want to win. Yeah. And you can play short sets, change the scoring. Let's rattle through some of these questions. Yeah, we've got a single strategy. We've gone through, uh, I think we've answered quite a few of these, but um, for singles, we, we touched upon this. What are my options for people coming up to the net? Well, <laughs> you can pass them to the right, left threw them over their head or try to get the ball low. I think, you know, we said you want to make people volley, try to challenge them. So if you can do the two shot sequence, get it low first, make them hit up and then pass. You you know, you could also go for lobs early on just to keep them away, keep them back off the net. Um, 
Yeah, but any kind yeah, of pattern yeah, you set, then you can break it. If you were to go yeah. low a couple times or um, you know, and then mix up a lob, I mean, mix things up a little bit, but for sure, make them play. Yeah, say, for example, your your opponent gets up 40 love. Come to the net and come to the net early in the match. Don't wait to crunch time. Yeah. You know, come to the net early. Um, so, yeah, I think that the ice hockey, the five holes, there's a corner here, corner here, corner here, corner here. Um, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Maybe we'll play. Um, we had a question about seven concepts. We went through that. When do you use the serve and volley? We, you, you need two things to be a serve and volley. You need a serve and you need a volley. <laughs> yeah. um, use it right away, crunch time. When it comes down to um, young players, and you know that's one thing with, uh, say, uh, orange ball or a green dot, it'd be great if they say, okay, here's the scoring system. If you win off the volley, you win three points or you win two. Reward people yeah. with... Um, Young players go to the net to lose at a faster rate. They don't have the reach to the left, to the right, and up high. Yeah. So um, I think it's so important. you got to just keep uh, talking about the future. Is that, come on, it's a great game. It's fun to hit volleys. It's fun to hit overheads. Yeah. We'd say, the, you know, again, the, our listeners, um, so repetitive, but who's the best 12 and under player? The player who has the most overheads. Yeah. Uh-huh. Also, um, also with that, you know, when would you use serve and volley? You know, we talk about green light points when you're up two points or more. And also if you're down two points more, you could. Yeah. Um, but I was watching, uh, actually, it was interesting. It was a few weeks ago I was watching Felix um, Auger Aliasim play. And I noticed every time he was up two or more points while he was serving, he was serving and volleying in this match. So 40-15, 40 love. He was doing it. He was serving and volleying. Okay, who's coaching Novak right now? Well, Lefty, Ivo Nizovic. Yeah, Ivo Nizovic. So Ivo Nizovic, uh, Chris Everett even said that to, to Novak, you know, you're winning some matches pretty comfortably. Why don't you venture up to the net a little bit more? Yeah. But, you know, when he served and volleyed uh, during the Australian Open final, uh, Ivo Nizovic. Thank you, thank you. Ivo Nizovic. He, uh, he was pretty excited. No, they need to do it more. Someone as great as, uh, you know, hey, the guy's won nine Australian Opens, but he's even said it. One year when they handed the trophy to him, he said, Mr. Laver, I know I need to get in yeah. more. I mean, uh, you know, when I would play matches, if I were down, I mean, I could serve okay, volley okay. If I were down a break point or game point, that's a lot of times where I would say, well, if I'm going to lose this point, they're going to beat me. So I'd put the pressure on. Obviously, when you go to the net, you have more angle and they have less angle. So you put the pressure on them to come up with a shot. So there's another time when you can. You know, so, you know, I think so many times, especially the, the feel a little sad for Murray. It was the big four. Now the big three here about them all the time. Say, well, yeah, okay. You were telling you to serve volley and the kid goes, Novak doesn't. I go, well, I guess when you play Novak, you're going to have to beat him from the baseline. Yeah. You know, add to your game, have some fun. Yeah. You know, it's like the football coach who never lets the quarterback throw. Uh, Troy Aikman, he left Oklahoma, went to UCLA, won, won several Super Bowls. He transferred because when he got to Oklahoma, they li- they lied to him basically in recruiting. He got there and they wouldn't let him throw the football. He goes, yeah. I'm out of here. I want to be a pro quarterback. I'm going to yeah. go where they're going to let me throw the football. Yeah. Next question here is also to do with serve and volley. What are some tips to beat a serve and volley player? Be able to return serve. <laughs> uh, hit against the backboard yeah. all day long. Have short, compact swings. Have... Again, have skills, you know, but it, one thing is that 
Uh, young kids today, they don't hit very good passing shots because they're not playing against people who come in. Yeah. And they panic on passing shots. Um, so um, you, that's where you want to find people that will play that way. And then, but also, too, then have a coach who's going to say, okay, we're going to practice this way. So you're going to get to practice against someone. Yeah. But you have to have the skills. You can't stand too far back. I mean, if you want to get to the point where you can hit top spin and get the ball down at their feet. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, for serving volley players or players with big serves, if you can just make the return, you know, just that in, the, in itself is a psychological win. Where it's just like, man, I'm, I'm having to volley a lot of first volleys. Obviously, like you said, if you can get it low. The word, that, the word that's come up uh, con- a couple of times, consistency. Make them play. Very little tennis played in tennis. Yeah. There, it's, there's no, it's not fancy at all. There, there's no secret. There's no magic pill. You know, some, some people are out there, they're going, well, I'm you're telling parents, I'm a strategy coach. No, you're a con artist. <laughs> I mean, I'm a strategy coach. Yeah, please. When playing from the red zone, what mentality slash opportunities should, should a player have slash look for when playing from the red zone? How do you go with that? Well, if you're playing from the defensive part of the red zone, your mentality should be, I'm going to send to the ball and keep it deep. Right. If you're playing from the neutral or offensive red zones, then you can have the mentality that you want to take offense a little bit more and do more with the ball. Look for that short ball, that opportunity. But what we say from the from the neutral area of the red zone, you could say just red zone, but neutral area of the red zone is you're waiting for your opponent to miss, hit short, or change the angle. So really, you, you know, you're trying to rally and look for that short ball or the opportunity to take offense. No, and it's composure too. I mean, you you got to have great feet, get in position, and you have to understand the breakdown. There's very few golden sets played. Yeah, you know, there's very few times that you look at a professional match where it's six zero six zero. Yeah. Um, or Vic Braden used to, you know, he used to say, you know, people even at the top level they can't hit the ball deep more than a few times or a couple times. People miss pretty quickly. But so he should. He said you should just be thinking the next one's going to be short. The next one's going to be short. Vic Braden, if you call someone up to play, and they answer the phone, attack. Because <laughs> yeah. if you call someone up and they answer the phone, that means they hit short. Yeah. If you if if they're pros when you call them up, they're not there. They're out on the tour. Yeah, exactly. So they're everybody hits short. Um, how to win at the net during during singles singles match? So how to win at the net during my singles match? This is my biggest problem. Again, skills, but I think the approach shot first, you know, can you hit your approach shot deep to, to push your opponent back? And then number one, can or number two, can you get into good volley position, GVP, halfway between the service line and the net? So that goes back again to do you know what your short ball range is? So know your short ball range. Those are a couple of things that are going to set you up to be in good position. And then you have to have the volley. You have to have the skill. Uncle Vic. We have to go back and chart this podcast. How many times did we say Uncle Vic? 107. With um, when it comes down to, um, just, again, just, just basics. You know, it comes down to when, the, when, the, when, you, when you play the point, how did, how did it go? So here's Uncle Vic. You want to win the last point for sure. <laughs> you definitely want to win the last point. Now, here's another thing is you're not going to win all the points. Yeah. You're going to win most of the points. And even then, the person sometimes who wins the most points doesn't win the match. Yeah. So you really have to understand tennis to the nth degree. And it's like, Uncle Vic, yeah, you want to win the last point. 
Yeah, you don't you, you don't have to win all of them. And he, and he was a self-made biomechanist, but he was a psychologist, and he was a I mean, so many things: a philosopher, professional comedian. You got to win the last point. Yeah, and it's never over till it's over. Um, you know, champ, champions, winners—they don't lose; they just run out of time. Yeah. Last question: we, we did cover this a little bit, but this is, I think, the classic question: how to beat a pusher. You talked about a few ways to beat a pusher. One, you beat them at their own game. So you go out there and you say. Well, first of all, you respect the pusher. The defense is specialist. Yeah. And when it comes down to just go out and, you know, juniors show up and they won't bring a water jug. You know, they think, okay, there's going to be water. There may go someplace where there's no water. Yeah, be prepared. They, they don't bring a chair. They may go someplace where there's not a chair. Senior players, what they're going to do is during the changeovers, they're going to take their own portable chair they brought with them and they're going to make sure that sit in the shade. Uh, I mean, the pros they are going to put a towel over their head. You know, now they, you know, years ago they didn't have chairs mm-hmm. for players in between points at, at Wimbledon. Yeah. So now, I mean, someone comes out and they hold an umbrella, hold an umbrella over your head. So <laughs> with, um, I just really, in the end, did you get it? Do you know what's going on? Can you figure it out? Tell me how many fingers do I have up? Um, and, you know, to be a thinking tennis player, but they can't think if they're just so clouded with the score. So how to beat a pusher, I'm camping out right here at the baseline. You know, really at the beginning for most players, not say super pro players, but get rid of the butterflies. I'm going to go out and I'm going to break sweat. I'm going to let you know that I can keep the ball in play. Yeah. I men- mentally have that attitude too. It's like, Hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to stay out there as long as it takes. Well, it's confrontation to confrontation. So, um, say you're playing somebody and you're going to spend most of your time in the forecourt, but you're playing an expert from the backcourt. That's red zone, red zone, confrontation. How many points do you win? How many points do you win red zone to red zone? Mm-hmm. Um, with, uh, people still show up to play the doll. They don't say, well, I'm playing the doll. I guess I won't show up today. <laughs> But I mean, granted, he's Mr. Clay, um, but the trajectory, you watch tennis on TV, people don't realize how high he's hitting the ball over the net. Yeah. And I mean, violence, I mean, he's just ripping topspin and the ball's up here. Um, and, but he's so quick recognizing a short ball. Yeah. So he, you know, you think of some players, I think of v when he won the French I think in 82. By 88, he could do it all. He won three out of four grand slams. He changed his game. But I think that's one thing that's really important for little kids who, you know, they have no muscles. When they play, uh, all they can do is get the ball back. And I think kids who start later, they don't learn to play defensively. Um, You know, I think, again, so many things we're repeating, like Pete Sampras, you know, he's asked if his son Christian played tennis, what would you do? I'd play with a wooden racket. Yeah. Um, Here's a Vic Braden. Is it a bazooka gun or is it a pea shooter? Mm-hmm. Like say your serve. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you're playing against somebody and, you know, even it's a 12 and under match, their serve is a pea shooter. They got palm up, they're pushing it in. And then you got the kid on the other side who's got, doesn't have a, a Western grip. He's got an Hawaiian grip. His grip is so far underneath. And they're just trying to blast it because they've been told, you know, really step up and and hit um, the um, the return big. You know, sometimes like Brad Gilbert's always like, get the match over with, don't put so many miles on your legs. 
But actually, when it comes down to little kid tennis, it's like, hey, it's great. You're playing somebody keeps some. You're playing somebody who's just really good mentally. They keep so ball so many balls in play. It's great. Go out there and match them. They're hey, but they're not taking the ball out of the air. Yeah, just get in position and just match and, and just love it. And, but instead of like I'm threatened by it, I hate. And you usually that's the case. You know, they're the kids telling their parents, I don't like to play against pushers. And, yeah, because pushers let you know you're not very good. Yeah, pushers let you know you can't volley. Pushers let you know you can't hit an overhead. Yeah. You got to have offense, you got, or you got to have the skills to bring them in. And again, psychology, we sum up in one word feelings, and people avoid playing pushers. You know, the thing is, they don't, they, you know, people know pushers, call them up. Most juniors today, they don't call up people and play sets, play sets. Yeah. Well, hopefully that answers the question. We've gone through it a little bit here. And that is our episode on strategy. And there's probably a few questions that may have come in. Um, so we'll answer those at another time, but appreciate you listening. Hopefully you got a lot out of this and you can take it to the court and have some more fun, win some more matches. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Appreciate it. And, uh, you can find us online again at great base tennis on social media, greatbasetennis.com. We got some free courses there. If you get a chance, leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or Apple. Especially, if you, especially if you like two-minute podcasts. If you like a two-minute podcast, I think it would be really popular. Yeah, two-minute. might be a few more zeros in there. But <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh-oh. We'll <laughs> we chart them up. We appreciate it. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks a lot.